right, so Sarah just pointed out something uh, before we begin today's show that uh, this is really true, that we do need to come up with some sort of sound effect or some sort of, uh, some sort of like a sounder or something we play when we interrupt ourselves right now. Because how long does the recap still theoretically have? Five minutes. Yeah, see, so that's just insane. Uh, so uh, we'd rather have more than less. So. No, it's no, it's true. I mean, I always like an opportunity to. Uh, I always like an opportunity to to run a little bit late if we have to, uh, because I'm still a little under caffeinated at the moment. But we need some sort of uh, an effect to play uh, when we sort of break in on ourselves. All right, are we ready? Yes. All right. Now I was going to start today's program with an Al Pacino soundbite, uh, but instead uh, we will uh, we'll do this because we're going to do a whole Al Pacino segment Why later you on. Play the intro. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, never mind. Okay. Goodbye. Go ahead. The Rick Emerson Recap, only on AM 970. Talking about the stuff you really talk about. This is KCMD AM Portland. AM 970. Solid State Radio. Area. Your daily show prep begins now. Gold! <laughs> How are things, how are things going over there? That's wonderful. You know what? I'm just going to play it again. Okay, I'll just stand here. Yeah. Attention FM DJs in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. We all joined against a common enemy. Now the ship has been brought back to life again. Not for the purpose of war, although we'll no doubt see our share of battles, but to save Earth. The message from Queen Starsha of Iskandar offers Earth its one chance for survival. As you know, the radiation increases every day. Now life on Earth has only one year left. We must reach Iskandar, get the Cosmo DNA, and return to Earth in one year. The Star Force needs you, and others like you. We know a round-trip space journey of 296,000 light years has never been attempted before. But we also know planet Earth has never been in such danger before. We will succeed in our mission. The Star Force cannot fail. Eight minutes and 13 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of May in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, Solid State Radio. Uh, good morning, my friends. Salutations to you all. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today on this Friday, 503 733 2970. For your comments, questions, clarifications, two cents, kvetches, uh, uh, what have you. 503 733 Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, your ruminations on the fate of the Star Blazers as they journey to meet Queen Starsha of Iskandar. Or whatever. Uh, if you want to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at 
RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Richie with a T uh, at 970.am. All right, so I was going to start the whole show with an Al Pacino speech there. And then this morning I was sort of reconsidering because I thought that we would do, I think somebody suggested having a top five Al Pacino rants. So I was kind of assembling that this morning, and then I realized doing a top five Al Pacino rants is going to be, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take like half an hour. So instead, I think what we're going to do is we'll shave some of Al Pacino's uh, greatest moments down, and we'll do them later on today. So Richie's sort of cleaning some of those up uh, as we speak. It is Friday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. All right, here's what's coming up today. CNN uh, Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, will join us today as we plunge headlong into, I think... Who was it that said, it was Harry Reid or somebody that said, he just flat out called it that the primary battle is going to be over within three or four days. Yeah. I think he said by Tuesday it's going to be done. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Oh, by the way, somebody sent me the saddest link. It was the link to that uh, that section of the Hillary Clinton website where she's asking people to design her T-shirts. And it's just, and it's one of those things where you can say they, they stopped updating it about four weeks ago. It's like when it's like when you go to somebody's MySpace page or, you know, whatever, and they said, you know, last login, May 15th, 2001. So, Hillary's page has now become static, as they say. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will join us today as he suffers through one final afternoon of reporting about sex in the city, after which we'll do a recap Monday, and then we'll never speak of it again. Let's all make a pact now as men. Uh, what else? Top five coming up today. These are the... Aaron assembled this. Aaron is bringing a top five in later today. It is, as I understand it, the top five songs written about a horror movie. So there you go. So that's coming up later on the day. Top five songs <clears throat> written about a horror film. Uh, also, later on in the 2 o'clock hour, horror impresario uh, Charles Band will be in the studio with us later on. He's the man behind the Trancers movie series, uh, the Puppet Master movie series. He's going to be uh, at the Aladdin Theater tonight. The Aladdin night for Charles Band's Full Moon Horror Roadshow, uh, which is, I'm reading now from the official memorabilia when it says awesome and far out audience participations unspeakable acts on stage hot girls Gary Busey stories and decapitations uh, so we'll be doing that plus one random caller today uh, will win a copy of the Puppet Master uh, DVD set uh, the Puppet Master series on DVD today to one random caller 503-733-2970 503-733-2970 what else double snuff watch coming up today um, let's see, Glorious Bastard of the Week right here. And I have put together a whole set of Al Pacino moments uh, that we'll play later on in the program for no readily apparent reason. Anyway, there you go. It's 503-733-2970. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. Students are injured when bleachers collapse at a Hillsborough Elementary School. Pieces of that stolen Kelso playground thing have been found, but they can't put it back together again. Harvey Corbin passes away, as does the writer of the Star Trek theme. Another train collapses in Manhattan. Kentucky and Ohio feud over a rock. A Florida woman is shot after asking who's there after her doorbell rings. That's the worst knock-knock joke in all of the world, Tim. A truck is rid uh, rigged with a trap door to steal gas. A Condoleezza Rice, a Condoleezza Rice meets Kiss. Hmm. Uh, and the grossest thing of all. Clay Aiken's bodily fluids <laughs> have impregnated a 50-year-old woman. What? What? Clay Aiken's bodily fluids have impregnated a 50-year-old woman. Let me just say now, I had several moments of horror as you were reading this story. You said the grossest thing ever, which I assumed was some other story about a Fox employee being savagely attacked by insects. 
And then you said Clay Aiken. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just let's just go through this beat by beat, as they say. Clay Aiken. When, when you say when you said Clay Aiken, yeah. we all immediately conjured up a small pixie-like singer from American Idol, now in Spam a lot. Then you said bodily fluids, and my brain was thrown into some sort of a vapor lock where I couldn't quite figure out. Like that, if you would stop me right then and you said, complete this sentence. Tell me exactly how Tim will wrap up this phrase. Clay Aiken's bodily fluids, what would you have said, Sarah? What would you have guessed? I mean, I know you know the outcome to the story now. I mean, sort of. But I mean, what? I don't know. Like, my, my brain kind of shuts down when I hear Clay Aiken and bodily fluids. I mean, if, if Tim had sort of pulled me aside in the hallway earlier and said, well, I want you to complete this sentence that I'll be reading later. Clay Aiken's bodily fluids... And the woman's name is James, but it is spelled J-A-Y-M-E-S. Really? That kind of like... Does James have a friend named George and Chrissy? <laughs> so we don't know if James... What do you mean his bodily fluids... Is this a tease? Do I have to wait till the news hour to find out more? Because I really don't know. I'm not playing dumb. I really don't know anything about this. Well, well Tim shouldn't give it all away all right, right now. Then. Don't give it away for free, Tim. Oh, all right. I'm sure Clay Aiken didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty people never do. Because <laughs> yeah, sometimes Tim sort of did, uh, does his teases, and, I, and I, I'm either familiar with the story already, or I've read it, or it's stuff that I've sort of given Tim before the show, like, hey, this would be interesting. I'm going to deliberately stay away from the news for the next, I don't know, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, or whatever, so I don't find out anything about Clay Aiken. I just I want it all to be a, a wonderful, horrific surprise. All right, uh, joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm doing very well. I was lost. I did not watch it. What? No, I didn't watch it. I have it written down here, Lost Recap. No, I'm, that's Monday. All right, well, yeah, I'm never gonna mind. have to watch it after the show. Because I had a bunch of friends who had passes to go see the Sex and the City movie again. Because you weakened. Yeah, I just well, I got guilt tripped into it, so I had to go and do that. But then but then again, you know, I don't get to go out with Lisa very much because she's right. had a kid, so she was out, so I'm like... Was it just it. as satisfying the second time around? It was good. I still have my same frustrations with the ending as uh, as I did the first time. They wrap things up a little too tidily for your uh, for your taste? I shall not spoil it for I'm just people. saying, I'm, we're not spoiling anything. I'm saying you felt that it was a little too red ribbon, little red bow or whatever they call it, a little, little too pat. The lessons learned at the end, I believe, are not lessons that um, need to be pushed upon. You feel it everybody. sends the wrong message. I feel it sends the wrong message. All right. Just a little bit. But, uh, you know, regardless of that, I still think it's a fabulous movie. And I really liked it. And all my friends really liked it, too. All right. So, that was good. so well, uh, the audience breakout last night, what was oh, it? Was it like God, 90% it was women? hell. Yeah. And plus, I was with a Baghdad. So everyone was just drunk. Hammered. Yeah. And there was just like this, there was this girl giving a running commentary of the movie throughout the entire thing. Like she was describing it to a blind person. She's like, oh, right, now she's walking. <laughs> An now actual she's walking blind person? The, no, and she wasn't describing, but it was like she oh, was. Oh, as though she was. And she's like, okay, oh, she's walking down the hall. Okay, she's she's opening the door. Oh, she's looking in the closet. I don't understand. Okay. Why would? I don't know. Was she narrating into a, into a cell phone or something? No, she was just talking to her friend next to her, like a bunch of shrieky, drunken, like overweight girls. I'm sorry, just like just kicking the back of our seats and just yeah. smelling like beer. I'm like, oh, I hate. Do you it. ever sit? Do you ever that person who sits behind you in the theater, who does this? The person is the narrator, and they feel the need to read aloud any text that appears on the screen. No, it was, and every time there'd be something. Uh, Something that is substantial that would happen in the movie, someone would scream like, "Oh no, she didn't!" And, like everyone would start laughing. Oh. I'm like, "Oh God, this is hell." I always, every time I go to the movies, I get the guy behind me who, whenever any sort of words appear written on the screen, or, th- or there's some sort of like a like the Chiron appears at the bottom where it sort of captions what's happening, he feels the need to say it all aloud. 
So the, you know, so the so there'll be the scene there'll be the scene where the guy comes home and his wife has left him and there's a note on the kitchen table. You know, dear John, I'm, I've run off with the mailman and I've been faking all my orgasms. And the guy behind me will go, run off with the mailman, faking all my orgasms. And he just reads aloud with whatever's on the screen. So yeah, oh mine were just like giving running commentary and just like, oh, do you think do you think she's gonna open that door? I don't know if she's gonna open that door. Do you think she's gonna open that door? I can't believe she's gonna open that door. Do you think she's gonna open that door? I'm like, oh wow. And I turned around and gave the death look, and then they're giving me sassy. But see, they, like, but they never know that the look never works. The, 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 that look never has the desired effect. When you turn around, I mean, I, we could probably at some point, we won't do it now, at some point we could probably do an entire segment on how to handle that person in the theater. Well, it's not even that person, which sucks. It was like a, a gang of like four obnoxious girls behind me. Right. But because, the, because they never get the look. When I went to see... Um, I think it was Anchorman or something. It was one of the midnight movies that Gordon Fatboy did. We went to see Anchorman, and there was somebody, you know, and it's, it's, you know, and it's at the Baghdad, so everybody's had a few, and everybody's kind of having a good time, and it's a fun movie, and there's a certain amount of that that's acceptable, but, but it's got to be within the context of the movie. In other words, even in a movie like Anchorman, which is a midnight movie, it's fun, everybody's drinking, everybody's sort of, you know, loosened up, whatever. If you're going to sort of yell some things at the screen every now and again in that sort of setup, I guess that's fine. Mm -hmm. But your conversation has to be at least tangentially associated with the movie. You can't just be discussing what you're going to do later with the people who are there next to you. So where should we go after this? Should we go to Imbibe? I don't know. Why don't we go up to that new place on Hawthorne? I don't know. Why don't we call John and see what he thinks? And then they call John and they see what John thinks, Mm. all the while having the loud conversation on their cell phones and so what I always do is I will turn and I will try to make the long uncomfortable stare so when someone is because I never have the guts to go over and talk to them that's the thing like I and I know that I should but I just don't ever have I don't ever have the spine to go over and just get in their face and say can you please shut up uh, because because you, you never kind of got, you go and get the manager right I, I don't really go and get the manager but what I will do is I will turn and I will just stare at somebody until they notice me and then I'll hold the stare for like another five seconds <laughs> so I will because you know you can tell when you're being looked at so if somebody is just over there just jabbering away I will kind of slowly turn and just stare at them until they kind of sense the stare and then they'll look at me and then I'll refuse to look away for four or five seconds and sometimes that works uh, but if they're a little loaded it doesn't I it, can't I can't stop myself sometimes from saying things like if somebody's very rude if I, if I see them being rude to someone or they're rude to me i'll go up and tell them like excuse me i think you're being really rude right now yeah, and um i think i've only done that once i think i've only actually gone up and sort of spoken to somebody in the theater one time and it's when we went to see uh, it's when jaws was on the big screen at the laurelhurst about three years ago and we went with some people who had never seen jaws which is one of the definitive films of all time and and, and, you know, Jaws is a movie where there's a fair amount of suspense. Even if you know there's a big shark out there, there's, there's certain scenes that are meant to sort of ratchet up the tension where it's a build-up. And there was some guy behind us just bumping his gums like there was no tomorrow. And I kept giving him the stare. That didn't work. Have you ever done this? Where the guy, the guy will talk, and as he begins a sentence to the person next to him, you kind of go, <laughs> and you kind of do the comically loud cough. Hoping that if you interrupt his conversation, he will get that you're doing it deliberately and he'll stifle himself. And that didn't work either. So I finally, I just went up, I circled around and I came up to the row of seats behind him. And I just said, hey, we've got some people here seeing this movie for the first time. Do you think you can keep it down? And even doing that, I was sort of, that is diplomatic. I, I I tried to be very diplomatic, but it's like you can never tell. 
I mean, it's like in L.A. when you were, there was a whole period in Los Angeles where you were afraid so to correct awkward. anybody on the highway for fear that they would shoot you. So, especially in a place where they're serving beer, I'm always afraid that if I correct some guy in the theater, he's just going to punch my teeth out. So how did it? How did it? No, go? that ended well. It ended well. It just doesn't always have that effect. Sometimes they get real, real obstinate about it. Oh yeah. Hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Happy Friday to you. How can I help you? Hi. Hello. I know, I know what you're talking about about going to the movie theater and having people talk. Got a story about that. But anyway, I want to talk about four TV shows really quickly. First of all, thank you for playing the theme song to Star Blazers because that's one of those shows that I thought I had imagined I had seen as a kid because. Just saw it once on TV years ago, never saw it again. So Here's... I have these real vague memories about it. Is that the Japanese animated series from like the late 60s, early 70s? Yeah, it's from the 70s in Japan. It was called Space Cruiser Yamato, and then they brought it over to America, and they called it Star Blazers. Here why, here's why it's interesting that you say that. I played Star Blazers here at the top of the hour, which was a Japanese primetime animated drama that they moved over here in the 70s, and they put it on in the mornings uh, for kids, yeah. never having bothered to watch it to realize how warped it was. But I was having dinner with uh, somebody else from CBS a while back, this guy named John, and he had also watched Star Blazers as a kid, and we got into this whole discussion about it. Here's the interesting thing about that show, Star Blazers. Every person who grew up watching Star Blazers thinks that they are the only ones who ever saw it uh, because it is one it was a cult cartoon for kids and you had to be a certain age at a certain point in American history in a certain part of the country or you've never heard of it wow. well I loved it because um, I, I you know I had a crush on the lead actor you know whatever he was doing Derek so. Wildstar so any also I want to say lost did you see the end of it Rick? no 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 Sarah, uh, I do not watch Lost, and Sarah missed it last night, so Sarah has not watched it yet. Can I give you just a little tiny hint? Sarah, can she give you a little tiny hint? No. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to be a buzzkill. Okay. All right. Sure, sorry about that. Watch the whole thing. Also, have you seen a series called Burn Notice? No. Oh, okay. That's the next thing you've got to get on DVD next month before the new series starts at the end of the month. That is terrific. Trust me, you're going to love that. Also, I know you guys are all fans of Mad Men. I think Entertainment Weekly today, I guess, it's got a big story about it. And uh, somebody called me yesterday. Our good friend Alan called me yesterday and informed me that Mad Men comes back July 22nd, Tim Riley. All right. July 22nd. Save July the date. Thank you. Thanks. Bye now. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. So I couldn't hear her because I was covering my ears. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. I don't need a hint. No, why, she why, that, why give me a hint? Because you know how it is. Because when you've seen something like Lost, it's just you're bursting to talk when about it. When I saw it. Sex and the City, like you know, Kiki and I were the only two people that had seen it before, and I wanted to tell people, like, do you want to know what happens next? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hi, Rick. Hello, Hi, Sarah. How can we help you? Um, this is for Sarah, actually. Um, I've actually raised three children through teenage years, and you're not old enough to actually know the stink eye. I can make them stop with my the mother mommy can stink too. eye thing, you know. Where you turn and see, you get that mom look, and, and the mom look, has is, that look with the eyebrow. And your mom's a teacher too, so yeah. the mom look and the teacher look are very related. It's yeah, where, but you're not old enough to pull it off yet. So you're gonna have to wait a few years before the little brats are gonna actually believe. Well, you. I think only women can really do that. I don't think guys can do it unless you're big and physically imposing. Women can give the dirty look. Guys can't give a dirty look. They just look constipated. Yeah, no, I I do the stink eye, and I've yeah. raised three children, and I tell you, they knew exactly. Oh what no, that meant. the thing about it is. Thank you. No, you're so right about that. The thing about it is, is that is that moms and teachers have that that look 
And with it, it's like a sort of quietness that comes. Do you know what I mean? When teachers will start to feel like they're like the class is really getting out of hand. And I used to have this teacher that would suddenly, it was just as though all the air had been sucked out of the room. She would go completely motionless. Her face would become very blank. And she would just stare at this spot that seemed to be in the middle of the classroom between two aisles. At nothing in particular. And she would just start to stare and not say anything. It was the silence that let you know that she was about to bring the yardstick out. Uh, the uh, learning how to give that, you know, that stink eye, that is a... Uh, yeah, my mom wouldn't art. even have to say anything. She'd just look at me, and then that eyebrow would <laughs> With one eyebrow? Like, I am in yeah. so much trouble. One arched eyebrow. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hi, Rick, Sarah, and Tim. Hello. Stink Eye uh, only works if, they're, if they haven't had, as you mentioned, a couple of beers. I was at the, uh, at the listener party, and I had the pleasure of being in front of a couple that were a little bit inebriated, and they were just talking nonstop and nothing about the roast, nothing about Tim's movie. Finally, I just turned around and... I'm outside your age demographic. I'm an old, white-haired guy. I looked at this guy who was, like, foot taller than me and just said, Hey, we're here to listen to them. We're not here to listen to you. Good for you, sir. And the guy just froze, looked at me, and slowly backed away. And it was just so funny seeing this bald guy, a foot taller than me, slinking away from me, this little old, white-haired well done. guy. Good for him. Glad it worked out for you, sir. So it does work. One quick question. Yes. Can you explain what the Portland Paper Thin Soap Company is? Uh, oh, the Portland Paper Street Soap Company. Paper um, Street Soap Company. The, uh, Sarah, do you want to handle that one? Oh, no, that's a reference from um, Chuck Paul and it's uh, Fight Club. Ah, okay, great. Paper yeah. Street Soap Company is the soap company run by Tyler Durden, uh, which in... Well, I forget in the book what it's originally made out of. I know eventually they make it out of Marla Singer's dead mother. I forget in the book what he originally makes the soap out of, though. Anyway, but it's a reference to Fight Club, and in the movie, it's soap that they sell made out of the liposuction leavings of fat women. And okay, the factory... That I remember. I thought it was... I kept hearing it. I thought it was paper thin. I'm going... No. What? Paper Street Soap Company, and... Uh, it's based in a factory, um, an old abandoned building in St. John's. I I've, I've driven by the house. You can't get near it anymore because it's actually a toxic waste dump. They've got big... They've got cyclone... They've got, like, cyclone fencing all the way around it. Uh, but you can actually drive by the place that was the model for the Paper Street House. So. Fantastic. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye, Bye now. All right. I'm glad somebody finally caught that. You know, I've been running that thing forever. Know, Nobody's ever mentioned it. You and I have it. actually talked about that. It's the first person that. who's ever referenced it. All right, we'll do uh, one more, then we got a break. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Tim, Sarah. Hello. Yeah, I've received a few of those stink guys. <laughs> yeah, it could be pretty fun. I like that intro. Really picked up today. It's kind of looking bleak there until you played that. Excellent. Glad we could help, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, uh, the Iskandar mission is kind of a. I'm sorry. The what? Reference. The what? The the Iskandar mission. Yes. It's kind of a historical reference for that. The latest one they had was the uh, the Black Empire. Comet Empire. The, no, Black Empire. There's uh, a third one that was released. Is there a third one? Is there a third season that was the that was the Black Empire? Yeah, if you watch that uh, one tape I'll give you, you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> All right, I'll look into it. Thank you. Bye now. All right, there's that guy. All right, we have to take a break. We'll come back. Lisa Desjardins around the corner. Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, later on, Aaron Duran, Charles Band, Tim Riley, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson. Look at that. Look how on schedule we are with our CNN radio correspondents. Let's hear it for sure us. Sure are. All right. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, Rick, Star Blazers was awesome, says the C-Mail. Based on a series of anime called Space Battleship Yamato, which is just as awesome. I actually have, uh, I've had some, some listeners drop off various Star Blazers bits of memorabilia and merchandise for me over the last 
uh, few weeks, actually. So we could, we'll do a whole thing about that at some point. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the hill, CNN Radio correspondent of the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, and how are you on this fine Friday? I am well. How are you guys? I'm fantabulous. That's exactly how I am. Wow. I'm glad that word exists to describe it. Um, <laughs> all right, so... Every time I open my mouth about this, I have to then go back and say the following statement, which is, I thought that we had figured out what we were doing with Florida and Michigan. Is this a thing where it was really decided and Hillary Clinton is just trying to muddy the waters by claiming that it's still all up in the air? You know, I think she she has never said anything but that. She has consistently said, hey, it's not over, it's not over, he hasn't reached the finish line yet. I think that for a couple of weeks now we've expected this, meeting on Saturday to be significant because it will divvy up those delegates. But, you know, the reason we didn't talk about it so much is because we had other primaries like such as Oregon right. going on, you know, and so, so it really was kind of, Hey, let's look at the, let's look at the center ring at the race we've got going on right now. Not necessarily the, the entire tent, which really this meeting on Saturday uh, applies more to. So what is the best possible outcome for Hillary Clinton at this point? Best possible outcome is that, they uh, impose a minimal punishment on Florida and Michigan. At this point, that looks like those states would lose half of their delegate count, so they would keep half. And the best hope for her is that the DNC would apply exactly what happened in those two primaries in terms of divvying up those uh, those delegations. What they would do is give her uh, a huge amount of Michigan's delegates, a large amount of Florida's, and then in Michigan, her best hope is that they would give Obama nothing because he was not on the ballot. That That's her ultimate situation, and I think I've got those numbers here. Hold on a second. If they did that, so many numbers, if they did that, then Barack Obama would be just 81 delegates ahead. He's about 200 ahead now. So that would just slice his lead down. He'd still be significantly ahead, 81. But it's very unlikely that he'll get nothing out of Michigan because clearly he, he wasn't on the ballot. He signed a pledge not to campaign there. That's why he wasn't on the ballot. Uh, so it's more likely it'll be something in between there maybe. I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be a little closer, but Hillary Clinton will probably still be about 100, 150 delegates behind. All right, so I have one question and two observations. My question is, and if you need to speak to me as though I'm a very small child for this, <laughs> that's fine. I absolutely understand. There's been so much talk. I mean, the, the DNC was penalizing Florida and Michigan for, for, for not waiting their turn, for jumping ahead in line, right? Uh, for cutting, as they used to say in grade school. So my yeah, question right. is, well, who cares? I mean, why not? Isn't, I mean, what? why can't states just hold their primary whenever they want to? What is... Who, why would somebody know, have a problem with that? Why do we ha why do we do this? Why do we vote on Tuesdays, which is a whole other internet uh, discussion? But this is it's nothing more than long held tradition and the power, I guess you could say, or the leverage that a few states have held over the process for a long time. New Hampshire and Iowa have now gotten together with South Carolina specifically, and they apply a lot of pressure to these parties. They do it way ahead of time. Uh, they made these decisions, I think, two, three years ago is when they cemented how the primary process would work this year. And these states were very smart about it. They said, Iowa said, we've always been the first vote in the nation. New Hampshire said, we've always been the first primary in the nation. What are you, you sort of creating an apple pie argument. What, what, do you hate babies? You don't want us to be first? <laughs> and, and, it, and it really 
got them the entire way there for a long time, but this election has changed that. Now Iowa and New Hampshire are going to have to make an entirely different argument if they want to keep uh, that piece of the pie. It's, it's going to be a lot harder for them now. I would like to commend you, by the way, on making what you call an apple pie argument, the first question of which is, do you hate babies? <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to mix my metaphors um, about baby pie, sort of a Jonathan Swift reference. Baby there. pie is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to form a band just so I can call it baby pie. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's why we had this story yesterday about, I don't know if this happens uh, where you live, but here, everything that's made out of metal, I was going to say everything not bolted down, but really even everything bolted down, including the bolts, gets stolen by meth heads. And sold to these oh. local metal scrapyards, you know, for drug money. Oh. And which is sort of, a, you know, when I was growing up, everything was for drug money. I don't know. Everything was for drug money. You know, what happens? Well, those kids are stealing cars for drug money. <laughs> everything that kids did when I was growing up was for drug money. And let me just ask you this. I'm now, like, so deep with inside this own. I'm, I'm like, I'm on a deviation of a deviation of a deviation here. Loving but it. I'm loving it. When you were growing up, what was the boogeyman drug? What was it? The crack? See, well, there was crack. Before crack, what was public enemy number one drug-wise? Uh, pot? I don't know. See, not, see, didn't you always hear it was angel dust? Oh, I guess so. I, you know, I don't. maybe we weren't that cool. We didn't really have the angel dust going on as much. I mean, here's a dumb question. Is angel dust really dust? I don't... I have no idea. I have no idea either. I'm, that it is dusty. This is... <laughs> I don't. It's like that scene in Office Space where they're looking up money laundering in a dictionary. I really have no idea. But I don't know. Anyway. All I know is some, one one of the most straight laced kids in my school honestly got suspended for two weeks for selling pop rocks because they didn't really know what they were. Because because they just it seemed suspicious it and fun. Like a drug, right? They didn't know that pop rocks was just this candy, and and that also was around the time when there were rumors that if you what was it? If you ate an entire package of pop rocks and a soda, soda, right? That that you would die from, For, you know. If you really want to, if you really want to impress people, can you name uh, the quasi celebrity who was part and parcel of that urban legend? No, I have no idea. Okay, there was, according to urban legend, we should do, we should give away a pair of MythBusters tickets with this right now. Okay. That's okay. Good. Hey, uh, I'm sorry. So give me just one, just give me just one second, Lisa. So, yeah. um. Let me see if I can. I don't have the paper in front of me. This if I can conjure this up from memory. So MythBusters behind the scenes coming to Portland later this year. We will be giving away uh, two pair of tickets to MythBusters behind the scenes today. Um, tickets on sale now through uh, Ticketmaster uh, outlets or Ticketmaster.com. They're going to be at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall coming up uh, later on this year. You can also get them at the PCPA right? box office. So what we will do right now is Richie. We will take the fifth caller right now at five zero three seven three three. 2970-503-733-2970. If you can correctly identify uh, this celebrity, quasi-celebrity, who was famously rumored to have been killed by a combination of Pop Rocks and Soda. I and, think I remember this. And now. here's the thing, and I'm going to write it down. You must match the celebrity that is in the version of the story we frequently discuss on this show. Uh, I'm writing it down right now, and I'm showing it to Sarah Dillon. I remember. It's oh, I knew him. before you even wrote. I'm life. just saying, in case somebody calls him, okay. was it um, was it any monster? God, we could do so many urban legends. Like which which uh, actor was rumored to be killed in a horrific motorcycle accident? Yeah, and uh, which member of uh, Leave It to Beaver was uh, rumored to have grown up to become uh, Alice Cooper? Uh, and, and what member of the cast of uh, The Wonder Years grew up to be Marilyn Manson? 
Hi, Lisa. I'm sorry. Hey. <laughs> oh, Lisa, this is right up her alley. You know that she doesn't. No, Lisa, I'm like, We're... I'm spellbound. I, I just can't keep up. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm having a conversation with myself in my mind now about all this. But now I can talk to you. So it's nice, and that was a little weird. But um... <laughs> <laughs> this is how my conversations with my shrink are. Don't worry about it. Um, anywho, okay. So backing up with a thing, a thing, pop rocks, dust. Oh, yes. So my point was that everything that's metal here is stolen and and sold for meth money. And so there was this story about unscrupulous metal dealers, and I decided that I wanted to form a band just so we could be called the unscrupulous metal dealers. Oh, that's not bad. I like that. That having been said, I have no idea how we got off onto that story. Hi. Baby pie. Okay. A modest proposal kind of thing going on. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, so have you noticed this that there's no discussion anymore about superdelegates? It's just, it's so widely assumed that that Barack has got it in the bag that there's. They will be back though. I predict they will be back next week. We'll be we'll have a little superdelegate love because in the end, superdelegates are the ones that will get him to that number that he needs to reach. I think that I missed my chance of... Uh, I, I should have done this. I should have been selling shirts that said, <laughs> I am a superdelegate. Ask how you can influence my vote. Oh, my God. See? If only I thought about it like three months ago. Uh, there, you know, if you get on it, you've still you've still got maybe maybe a week. Maybe. I'll get the cafe Two press weeks. and just start start whoring that like nobody's business. You might have a couple weeks. All right. Let's uh, take color up. So, uh, there's a, there are some uh, superdelegates. Ron Wyden actually is a superdelegate who has not committed yet. So people... So this might be the place to do it, actually, here in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, uh, hello, caller five. What is your name? Hello, Rick. All right, for a pair of tickets to see Mythbusters behind the scenes this coming fall in Portland, Oregon, tickets on sale now through all Ticketmaster outlets. Uh, what celebrity, as written down on my piece of paper here, was rumored to have been killed by a combination of soda and pop rocks? Pop Rocks and soda, he won't eat it. He hates everything. Mikey from the Life commercial. Well done, my friend. Hey. Congratulations on your knowledge of the completely pointless. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right, and it is actually connected with Mythbusters because Myth they did that in season one. They have busted that myth. That's that cool. is very true. Well done, sir. I'm going to put you on hold. Richie, you'll get your information. You're going to see Mythbusters behind the scenes, courtesy of AM970. Hurrah! Thank you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, we should have Richie do the Pop Rocks thing. Because it's already been proven. Richie could be our own private Mythbuster. That is the best idea you've ever had. All right, hold on. That's a great idea. All right. Um, let's see. I, I had some other question, but I, I guess it's gone now. Um, we've got this crazy meeting Saturday. Uh, you know, not too much else going on. Next week, we've got a lot of global warming debate in the Senate, which should actually be fascinating. Uh, but uh, but that, that's all I got. Final right? question, just so we wrap up this week with Scott McClellan. Is this, tell, mm-hmm. is this sort of tell-all right. book or whatever from Scott McClellan? In the end, is it, as my grandmother would say, going to amount to more than a hill of beans? Or is it just going to be a little a little bit of a, a tempest and a thing that's then gone? It doesn't feel like it's really going to be a, a long-term factor in anything. It's 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 something that people you know all the insiders in Washington it'll it's going to come up now until forever at parties here, <laughs> but but I don't think that it's really going to you know not having read it not knowing exactly what's in it, it if these if if what we've seen so far is sort of the the best most uh, you know surprising excerpts from the book. I, I don't think it's really going to change how history looks at this president. Some people will use it as a reference uh, to back up views that are already out there. 
but otherwise, I I think uh, for Scott McClellan, however, he it, it you know his his life has changed dramatically from here on out. He he'll never be looked at the same by either Democrats or Republicans. All right. Uh, are you uh, are you on Monday? Are you here? Yes. Are you back? Are you, I'm right. here. I'm here for the. I've got no plans to travel anywhere until August. So what? I'm I'm here. Well, that's not true. July fourth. But other than that, I'm here. Well, having come to having come to Portland, really, it's uh, why travel anywhere ever again. <laughs> I mean, you true. You've topped out. All right. Enjoy your weekend. We will speak with you very soon. Great. Thank you. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Wonderful. Excellent. All right. It's five hundred three. That's the best idea you've ever had. And I think I've got some pop rocks upstairs actually, in my office. And I bet there's soda in the thing. And if Let's not, there's it. a plaid pantry across the street. All right. Uh, we should ask Richie to do Oh, that. no. No, I'm not going to play his thing. Okay. Ah. Yeah. Um, Richie Bristol, can you uh, join us in the studio when you get a chance? I see you're taking the caller's information, but when you get a moment, thank you. Oh, hey, so um, so while we're waiting for Richie to come in, I never did play this weird court and fat boy thing. Um, yeah, and I haven't asked them. I haven't asked them about it, but Chris Paddock told me it was okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there is Steve Castamon, so we'll get Steve Castamon here in just one second. Let's see here. One. Hello. <laughs> are you just wait, you just prompting us? Hi, Richie. How are you? Good. How's life? Good. Okay. Hold hold on one second here. Um, How's the dating world, Richie? Um, uh, not. <laughs> uh, are you taking a breather? Yeah, I'm taking a break of my choice. My choice, man. All right. Um, have you ever had Pop Rocks and soda? No. Okay. But I've done other things with Pop Rocks. Why do you have to do that? Why did you give me that look afterward <laughs> to let me know you're talking about the sex? I don't know about that. Pop Rocks. Think about it. It crackles. <laughs> All right. So would you do the Pop Rocks? You just made like, you were just like the, um, you were. Uh, you you were just this, that gobble gobble. What is that sound? There's some sort of food mascot that he just. You were you were just like a hamburglar just then. Oh. Robble robble. You were just a hamburglar. <laughs> oh, you freak me out sometimes. All right. So later on today we'll conjure some of those up and we'll uh, we'll see what it does to you. Will that give me gas? Probably yes. But you said you're not dating, so what does that matter? <laughs> really, who are you trying to impress? Like whether I was dating or not, matter if I had gas or not. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of like Bye. Welcome. <laughs> Hey. Hello, let's welcome another the Rick Emerson Show, Steve Kastamon. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm okay. Do you have anybody that you work with who is just flat out odd or strange? Oh, you want me to write a list? No, but I mean, really, just, I, I mean... Well, there's a sound technician here, and you know, the New York Bureau has a few hundred CNN employees, and some of them, I have no idea what they do, you know? Right. It's one of those, one of those places. And there's one guy who's a sound technician who comes in in the afternoons every day, and lately, he's got this. Uh, his thing now is to wear the uniforms, I think, or at least the colors of every soccer team in Italy. So there's a team whose uniform is like bright yellow, like neon yellow. So he'll wear a neon. He'll wear the team jersey, but then he'll wear like bright yellow pants and yellow sneakers to go along with it. Okay, that's kind of great though, because it's moments like that when you. You really do feel like you're living in some sort of a sitcom. Yeah. Hey, it's, can, it's really odd. Can I tell you, I had the best idea uh, for a recurring character on sort of an HBO-style uh, dark comedy. You know, okay. because HBO is really hammered out. I mean, not that HBO is alone in this. I mean, The Office sort of does this, and Arrested Development had its moments. But I had this great idea for a recurring character, and he would be on one of those sort of black comedies on HBO where it's kind of comedy with, you know, the sort of the gallows humor. Here's the thing. Here's the character. 
it would be sort of like The Office, but it would be like a bleaker version of The Office. And the deal is, because here in Oregon we have the assisted suicide law, where if you are diagnosed as being terminally ill or you have less than a few months to live or whatever it is, you go to the doctor and the doctor will actually give you a lethal dose of medication. So you, so you then, at your option, uh, may choose to end your life. So I had the great idea uh, for a character on a, on a sort of a darker version of The Office. And the character would be somebody who had at one point been diagnosed with a terminal disease. He had gone to the doctor. The doctor had given him uh, the suicide dose, but then he somehow got better. And so instead, he just carried it around with him and threatened to use it whenever something didn't go his way. I like that. I think that's funny. I would watch a show featuring. So, like, you know, so he would be sitting at work. Uh, and, the, and the boss would come up and say, you know, the boss would say, uh, look, uh, I'm going to have to move you to a smaller cubicle over there. You're going to have to move. And the guy would just sort of pick up his suicide dose and rattle it menacingly at the boss. Say, I'll kill myself right here. And then the boss would say, never mind. And then he'd leave. And then hilarity would ensue. I like that. I like that. That's okay. I can tell this is a piece of comedy that's only resonating with me. That's all right. Do you like, do you like my name is Earl? Um, I watch My Name is Earl sort of sporadically. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, it's not appointment television watching for me, but every time I watch My Name is Earl, I like, it's like, you know what it is? My Name is Earl is a lot like King of the Hill, wherein, no, whereas, whatever, it, where I don't schedule my life around it, but any time I watch it, I'm glad I did. Me too. I'm with you on that. Um, and I find Jamie Presley to be like scorchingly hot. So, uh, all right. So. There's two different things here on sort of opposite ends of the news spectrum. A, it is this is the second to last day, I believe, that you will have to talk about Sex of the City. Yeah, um, and I didn't want to talk about it, and then look what happened. I got my wish, and I'm sorry I did. That's okay. Uh, Sarah, I went to see it for the second time last I night, actually. <laughs> and yeah. here, an interesting sort of thing with this film is that it's kind of turning out to be sort of critic-proof, in that the I know the New York Times, I think it was, already put out a pretty scathing review of it, but it is one of those movies like... Star Wars, you know, or whatever, where the critics are probably going to have almost no effect on it, right? It's going to be packed regardless. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And there are a lot of movies that come out like that, right. And so I, would you say that it is probably, speaking of appointment viewing, that Sex and the City is going to be appointment eh, watching for the vast swath of women in that demographic? Oh, yeah. I, I think, like, after, after this first week, you're going to see the numbers fall off dramatically in, in ticket sales. Like, they'll have a record-breaking weekend, an opening weekend, because we already know that a lot of theaters were already sold out a week in advance. And, and then you're going to see it go down to nothing. I don't buy that. You don't buy that? No, I saw the reaction and the response from the crowd last night again, and it was just even more rabid. You think the movie will have legs, as they say? I think so. I think especially with um, female, like, it doesn't take much to please us. Like, most romantic comedies are just crap. And, you know, if there's something that's somewhat decent out in the theaters. I think that females' word of mouth will make this movie have a little staying power. That's just what I think, because I saw how, like, the reaction, how excited and happy everyone was after it finished last night. I would also say this, that it, my theory would be, not having seen it, my theory would be that here's why I think Sex and the City is so popular, and I think this is why the movie might actually have a little bit of staying power, is that I think Sex and the City does focus, uh, it's not the word, does function as a little bit of a virtual community for women. Um, 
where women do, I believe, either correctly or incorrectly, but they do see themselves reflected on the screen, much as guys see themselves reflected in certain movies, and those are the movies that guys latch onto and watch. If you see the movies that guys watch over and over and over and over again, a lot of times it's a movie like Swingers, where guys see themselves sort of validated on the screen. So I think that might contribute to repeat viewing. Like High Fidelity. I, I saw that one a couple of times. Exactly. I yeah. think guys typically respond, you know, and the, the, the example I always go to is the movie Clerks that Kevin Smith made, you know, which he made for $24,000 and which just became an instant classic among a certain type of guy who saw themselves sort of reflected, uh, you know, in the film's characters and the film's writing. And I think this might be the first kind of movie that really functions as a sort of surrogate circle of friends for women. That would be my theory. But will they, will they go back and see it again? Because I see so many of these women out there today you know, who bought their tickets in advance, and a lot of them, you know, have their whole, you know, viewing session planned out already. So I feel like the women who are into this show are all rushing to the theater this week to see it. And maybe next weekend you'll see, you know, some, some decent numbers, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like they're all going to rush to the theater this weekend and, and cram into the theaters to see it, and, and maybe after work during the week, and, and then it falls off a little bit. So, you know, this could be yet another sidebar for your story. In addition to what you're trying to figure out how many pair of Prada shoes or whatever you can be uh, dividing into the, the total ticket gross, there could, there, and in fact, somebody probably will do this, a little sidebar about whether this will be the movie that establishes uh, the sort of, will, be, will this be the first big cult movie for women? Because I don't think women have... I don't think there really is a cult movie for women. I just I can't think of one. Um, I suppose, but they're all kind of buzzkill. They're all that depressing. They're all like where somebody at the end is just uh, you know falls off a cliff or something. Or a star is born. I mean, even you know even like Thelma and Louise, which is a fairly upbeat movie, ends with them driving off a cliff. Spoiler. What about about the one with uh, Winona Ryder and and Cher as her mom? Mermaids. Mermaids, yeah, that was a good one. I guess, but I don't really know women that get together and watch that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know a movie. I can't. I'm not a woman, so I don't know. I can't think of a movie that women get together and watch. Let me put it this way: I am, a, you know, I'm a colossal nerd, and so, I mean, I, you know, myself and the sort of my my guy friends, you know, sort of geek squad. I mean, there are movies that we'll just all get together on a Saturday night and watch. Wait, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to get together. We're going to watch Die Hard. We're going to get Godfather together. Too. Yeah, we're going to watch The Godfather. We're going to watch The Blues Brothers. We're going to get together where we watch Lethal Weapon 1 through 4. I can't think of a movie that women get together to watch, period. I just can't. And so this might be the breaking of new ground. And I don't mean to make it sound like more than it is, but I think this might be a significant development in filmmaking if it works because that is a whole piece of the financial pie that theaters haven't been able to get. I, I, it's possible. It is. I've always been disappointed by movies that were spin-offs of TV series, though. Like, I remember as a kid going to see the Battlestar Galactica movie, and it was just a rip-off cool. of the TV series. Oh, terrible. Is that it's like the same footage used over and over and over again? It was. Oh, man, I wanted my yeah. money back. They yeah. just kept showing stuff that was actually on TV already. Oh, all right. Uh, hey, I know we're, we're running real short on time here, but I wanted to ask you this. I don't mean to make light of this, but is there has there been yet another crane that's collapsed somewhere in New York? Didn't we just have this story like uh-huh. a month ago? Two, two, two months ago, uh, I got out there this morning less than an hour after the crane collapsed. It happened a little bit after 8 o'clock on the Upper East Side, and we just, as you and I were talking, I just got the email, a, a second death has now been confirmed. Uh, this construction crane was working on a new uh, apartment building on First Avenue and East 91st Street here in Manhattan, and suddenly, and we don't know why, 
and it was not the same scenario as the prior crane collapse, so they're trying to figure this out. It just came crashing down. Uh, it tore into uh, the top floor apartment, a penthouse apartment in an apartment building across the street, and then it ripped through uh, some corner apartments on its way down. Jesus. The crane operator died, as did uh, one of the construction workers that was pinned beneath the falling debris. I got down there pretty quick, and I was talking to a lot of people who lived in the building and uh, spoke to some people who, uh, I don't know, they're kind of they, they're kind of a fine example of, of, the, of the folks who live on the Upper East Side, but I'll, but I'll let uh, this woman speak for herself. I was sleeping, and it was like 8 o'clock, and I heard a huge noise, and I thought it was like a terrorist attack or something. And I was like, oh, my God, here we go. I got really scared. Yeah. Wow. Those are the type of people that live up there. So, um, but it, not to make light of it, though, it really was a scary situation. Uh, I was talking to uh, this guy who, who literally was getting ready to go to work. I was in my bedroom putting my shoes on because I was literally about to step outside to go to work. And uh, I heard it happen. The building kind of shook. And so I really didn't think the crane had actually collapsed. My first thought was that, oh, it was carrying a big load and it dropped the load. And the load probably hit the building. And then I immediately ran out onto my balcony, which is facing north. And I could see that the construction crane was on the ground. Uh, there's something really uniquely terrifying about a crane accident. I don't know why. There's just something, there's some way that resonates in the consciousness. I don't know why it is. But there's something especially freaky about that. There really is. I mean, uh. you, you see them all over New York. And, and to have this happen so soon after the other crane accident and all of the cranes at these high-rise construction sites were inspected, they are now required to have an inspector on site when they go through this process called a, a raising, where they, you know, the, where they right. grow the crane. Right. And, uh, but this one wasn't doing that. It was just lifting a load, apparently. Uh. So what, one sidebar, every time I cover uh, a disaster-type story in New York, I don't know why, but there always seems to be an Israeli in, 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 involved in, in some way. And, and it's amazing for a country that has 5.8 million people in it. But the, this guy is Israeli, and he was living in the apartment building that uh, the crane uh, fell on. So I'm sleeping, and uh, all the beds, it's like that. She's walking like crazy. I said, what's going on, oh my God? I go in the balcony, uh, and I'm in the middle. With the, after the balcony, I see the construction and all the new building. What's going on outside? I see all the machines downstairs. And uh, the people start to cry. And wow. Starting to cry. They've got grown construction men. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's... Fine. Jesus, that's all kinds of terrifying. All right, well, I hate to end on such a, uh, such a down note, but um, all right, my friend, big plans for your weekend? Uh, what are we doing this weekend? Did I tell you guys that we're in the process of selling our house and looking to buy a new one? It's I think really, you, yeah, yeah. you did mention something like that. Yeah, we're going to have another open house this weekend. So does that mean you have to, you know, you have to put on pants? It means you have to make the uh, house look like you haven't lived in it. <laughs> so you have to make it look like it just like it's well, something out of the Williams Sonoma catalog. You live in Brooklyn, right? Yes, I do. Maybe I'll send my sister and her boyfriend over to come and check out your pad. Because that won't be weird. Please do. No, that would be cool. I mean, it's 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 big if it were a Tokyo apartment. But <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how you should phrase it. In met, if you look at it in metric terms, it's huge. <laughs> All right, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks. See you. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So no, I, wanna, I want, don't you want like a, a real person account of what Steve Kastenbaum's like in person? I suppose. So are you going to send her? Are you going to send Heather to look at Oh, up? yeah, totally. No, okay. no, neither. No, not to purchase. No, but I mean, just to sort of scope it out. No, yeah, to scope it out yeah? and like meet him. Excellent. All right. Tim Riley, have you news for us? I do, yes. How thrilling. Um, all right. Let's take a break. 
Come back after this. 503-733-2970. More of your phone calls. We're going to hold, hang tight. We'll get to you uh, calls uh, right after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth at the Noon News Hour. Later on. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Don't forget, one random caller today will win a copy of the Puppet Master Collection on DVD, courtesy of Charles, Ra- uh, Charles Band's Full Moon Horror Roadshow 2008 tour, which is going to be at the Aladdin Theater tonight. The Aladdin Theater tonight. Uh, full Moon Art, uh, Special Effects Auctions, Unspeakable Acts on Stage, Gary Busey Stories, Roadshow Specials, Hot Chicks, and Decapitations. Uh, that's coming up uh, later on tonight, ladies and gentlemen. At the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Hey, there are going to be fireworks tonight on the waterfront. Part of the uh, Rose Festival. Be there at dusk. Meanwhile, a set of bleachers collapsed at a Hillsborough Elementary School early this morning, causing some minor injuries. These were sixth graders. They were sitting on the bleachers at West Union Elementary when they collapsed. One of the kids has a broken ankle. Five others have minor injuries. Kids are pretty resilient. They'll heal up early. Kids are like rubber, Tim. They'll bounce right back. Meanwhile, kids in Kelso remain in tears. Pieces of that stolen geodesic drone have been found. Did I call it a drone? It's a dome, actually. <laughs> it's a giant metal jungle gym. It was a centerpiece of the playground. It was, well, like a historic monument to children in Kelso. It was like one of the human friends they never had, Tim. Well, thieves dismantled it Monday night. Investigators believe they used bolt cutters to take it apart. The pieces have been recovered, but the whole thing's irreparable. It may not be used again. Now, how is that possible? Why can't it be put back together again? I don't know. Here's another question. Why is Humpty Dumpty always depicted as being an egg? Well, it's traditional. But, I mean, he doesn't Why say he's... Santa Claus a skinny fellow? Well, because... Well, I know the answer to that. Because according to uh, The Night Before Christmas by... What's his guts? Who's the guy that wrote Night Before Christmas? I want to say Kenneth Cole, but that's wrong. Uh, who, uh, you know, the guy that wrote the, you know, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Doesn't he say that Santa Claus is fat? Yeah, he has, he yeah. because he, he jiggles like a bowl full of jelly. Yeah. It, nowhere in the Humpty Dumpty poem does it say that Humpty Dumpty is an egg. The only place where it ever says Humpty Dumpty is an egg is in the song Egg Right on Mojo by the Beastie Boys, and I don't really think that's considered canon at this point. So Humpty Dumpty is depicted as an egg for reasons that sort of pass understanding. It's never really explained. There's we can be changed to a cow if you wish. From now on, we should depict Humpty Dumpty as being just a big cow who falls into little pieces, which they then try to stitch together. Uh, okay, but why can't they put? Uh, why can't all the king's horses put this playground thing together again? Apparently, some of the pieces are missing. <laughs> I guess I should. I guess I should have seen that. They coming. cannot be used again. All right. So, what would the uh, what would the news headline for this be? Crying in Kelso, Kelso catastrophe, with a K. Um, they would, all of these would be with K's. Kitties cry in Kelso. We need one more. Kitties cry in Kelso. Something catastrophe. Calamity. Calamity. Ah. There you go. All right. Calamity is better than catastrophe. Here's Tim Riley. So a Christian man tries to hire a hitman to kill a teenage accru- accuser. This Christian man is waiting to go on trial in Washington State on charges of child rape. He's now accused of trying to find a hitman to kill his teenage accuser. Aaron Hahn has been charged with solicitation of murder. He remains jailed in Port Angeles. His bail has increased to a million dollars. 
And now, our 17-year-old girl told the authorities she met him online when she was 14. He was 25. She began a three-year dating relationship but broke it off earlier this year. She contacted the police when this guy allegedly harassed her. So he's arrested in March, child with third-degree rape, sexual exploitation of a minor, possession of child pornography, stalking. According to court documents, he asked a fellow inmate to help him find somebody to kill the girl before his trial. Well, that is the sort of that is the place to look. I guess so. Killers are often found in jail. <laughs> you know, that of course I mean, that is the irony, right? That if I mean anything you need, if you're in jail, anything you need done uh, like that, I mean you really are. It's like living inside some sort of a criminal yellow pages. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hey, Rick, what's up? I can uh, help you, sir. Star Blazers. Uh, did, have you heard? I saw this on a fan site a while back. Did you know that they're in the works of making a motion picture out of that? See, but they've been saying that for a long time, and I don't really know if it's true or not. I They've talked about making a Star Blazers. At one point, it was going to be a live action. Then it was going to be a full-length animated. Then it was back to live action. I don't really know where it is. That would point. be a killer live action movie. I'd, I'd be all over that. I heard at one point that... Because this sort of seems to be the rule. I heard at one point that Michael Bay was attached to it, which did not oh. like fill my heart with joy. But uh, Never mind. And I know that in Japan they've continued to... I mean, in Japan it's not just the Star Blazers that we sort of know in America. There have been oh, many full-length feature films. Uh, Final Yamato was the one that I think most recently came out. And they've talked about doing it here, but it's... Man, it's all I can do just to find good Star Blazers merchandise online. It really is It really is difficult. I'd, be, I'd, I'd like to see them make a good film of that, though. The DVDs of the American series are expensive. They are. I mean, they're unbelievably expensive. I was at, uh, I don't know, Suncoast or someplace a few years ago when they first came out. And, I mean, it, it was kind of shocking. The thing about that show is that it still does hold up. It's Oh, it's incredible. I love that show. The animation uh, is, is a little a little chintzy when you go back and look at it now, but uh, but still good. And the writing is still high quality. Uh, I want to ask you, the, the first the first season slash the first Yamato movie, I can never understand. This is I couldn't wrap my brain around why this is the case, but how come the Gamelians attack Earth, which is, you know, a, across the galaxy, and yet there's a planet right next to them, which is this Kandarv. It's got one person on it, and it's lush with greenery. And, but they But they choose to take the effort yeah. to raid Earth with uh, radiation bombs instead. I'd never... Tim, would you like to weigh in on the motivations that? of the Gamelons attacking Earth and not uh, Iskandar? No, yeah, I'll skip this one. Okay. It, I do, my theory would be, I don't really know that this is true, but my theory would be that... Uh, Deslock, who is the leader of the Gamelons, is at heart depict he that he is um, in many ways a brilliant uh, tactician, a military leader, but is at heart kind of a coward. Uh, because I do, I think at the end of the series he actually pleads for his life because, and then he escapes or something because Derek Wildstar is there with a gun and is going to kill him or something. But I, I, but I think he, I think he is depicted as being somewhat intimidated by and afraid of Queen Starsha which is why he does not want to, even though she's only one person, why he doesn't want to get into a full confrontation with her. I think Starsha is depicted as being sort of strangely, mysteriously powerful, and Deslock does not want to uh, incur her uh, wrath. That's just the, speculation, though. Because the movie, the, the, you know, the, the original full-length Yamato movie or the end of, you know, the American series never really get into how powerful she actually is. I couldn't figure out, do they have a treaty with her? I think, I think that Starsha yeah. does have some sort of... Uh, I think she does have some sort of almost supernatural power, whereas right. Deslock's power is all militaristic. Right. All right. So, Thank you. Thanks. Bye, Bye now. I'm sorry, Tim. Wow. I did, what am I going to do? Not answer the question? He calls up with a question about Queen Starsha of Iskandar. I have to answer. Well, I suppose this is where you go to get answers to such things. Look, if somebody calls, if somebody calls up with a question about subprime lending, Tim, then I know who to hand that question to. <laughs> 
Here's Tim Riley. encourage people to call up with your <laughs> If you've got a uh, question about financing or perhaps your Roth, uh, you call up and Tim Riley would take all those calls. Let's talk about Clackamas County crime, which we all like to hear about. Yes. Uh, two men escape with a garbage bag full of cigarettes worth $6,000 after a lightning-fast crime spree. Uh, they hope customers and neighbors of the Trails N76 gas station may have seen the two men. It is on Clackamas River Drive. Uh, it was one of the, four of the places that the uh, thieves hit. Surveillance cameras caught them using a crowbar to pry cash registers off a counter. They took two tills and 31 cartons of cigarettes. Uh, Sheila LaPointe owns a uh, discount cigarette store in the area. It doesn't surprise her at all. Um, they got quite a bit. They could sell and probably uh, make some drug money selling cigarettes. Well, that just seems like circular logic. Why not just steal drugs? That's true. I'm not telling you to steal drugs, but if you're going to steal cigarettes, which you then have to sell to get money to buy drugs, why not just steal drugs? I mean, it, especially because you're now put in the position of having to commit at least three crimes instead of just one. Maybe they're working their way up. Now, maybe. I mean, it just seems like a whole lot more work. It, it seems like you could just skip to the bottom of the page. Also, this... The whole stealing of cash registers seems like an outmoded kind of theft to me because businesses don't typically keep a lot of cash in the cash register anymore, right? They no. put it, it goes in that big zippy um, uh, bank uh, pouch or whatever that goes that, that you drop off at the bank at the end of the business day. Stealing cash registers is just dumb. Yeah. All right. Uh, this email says, Rick. More importantly than why is Humpty Dumpty always depicted as an egg? Why on God's green earth would you send horses to fix an egg? Well, that doesn't make any sense either, does it? And not just a few, he says, but all the king's horses and all the king's men. That's just bad decision-making on everyone's part, Rick. What if the kingdom was attacked that day and all the horses and the king's men were gone? And why was Humpty Dumpty so important to use all those resources on? None of it makes any sense. Now, I, I, there I cannot help you, my friend. Here's Tim Riley. They do have a point, don't they? Here's a triple snuffwatch. Here's your triple uh. snuffwatch for uh, Friday in the Rick Emerson Show. So the first one, uh, Dick Martin, the zany half of the television team whose role in Martin's lap and took television by storm in 1969, making stars of Goldie Hawn and Lily Tomlin, and including such catch crises as Sakitumi, has died. He was 86. You did a much better job in that line than Richard Nixon did. You think so? Yeah. Uh, he had some uh, pretty severe respiratory problems for many years and stopped breathing a week ago. So <laughs> what? <laughs> well. How did he stop breathing a week ago, but he just died yesterday? He had good breath control. It's like a David Blaine's sort of thing there. He could have been a, a swimmer. Oh, I'll die next week, but I'll stop breathing now. But he lost the use of one of his lungs as a teenager and eat oxygen most of the day in his later years. I thought, I only knew that, this is Dick Martin? Uh, yes. I only knew that he, see, but that's, you had the check. I only knew he was dead when Susan Reynolds mentioned it to me yesterday. Because mm -hmm. we were talking about uh, another part of our snuff watchers coming up in a moment. And she said, and Dick Martin died. And I said, what? And she said, you know, Martin and Rowan's, you know, laughing or whatever. And I, and I said, but I thought he was, I thought he was dead like decades ago. I thought he died in the 80s. No. So well, he, he may have stopped breathing in the 80s, but he <laughs> died this week. So, that, I mean, that's, it's pretty impressive he was still alive. That's a, you know, you go back and watch Laugh-In. Laugh-In is still really good. I mean, it clearly comes from a certain time in American culture, but Laugh-In was 
really innovative in the, in the way that it, it had. There were lots of people on that show. It, 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 I mean, it, it was. It, I mean, Ruth Buzzy, Goldie Hawn. Uh, what's his name? Art. Uh, not Art Fern. R. V. Nelson. R. V. Nelson. That's what I'm thinking of. Art Fern was Tony Carson's character. No, it was already somebody else. Uh, he was the guy that's very interesting. That guy. Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and Rowan and Martin themselves were great because they were sort of a low, but they were like a TV Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, exactly. uh, the straight man and the sort of the sort of crazy guy. Um, but uh, the way that it mixed sort of double entendre humor with the classic vaudeville approach to comedy uh, was—I don't think anybody really done that at that point. I mean, it, it, I think it leaves a pretty a pretty large shadow. Laughing is still a very a very good show. I don't know if it appears anywhere anymore, does it? I don't think so. I think it was on TV Land for a while. But have you, but I don't know if you noticed that TV Land is actually, you know, as much as you still think of TV Land as just being like Leave it to Beaver reruns, TV Land has, with every, TV Land sort of ages as the audience ages. Because now if you watch TV Land, it's like a lot of Three's Company episodes and stuff. They sort of stepped up and it's a lot of 70s and 80s stuff. There's, it, like you will see, you will see a lot of double entendre on Laugh-In that, you think about it now, and it's amazing that they got away with it when they did, uh, you know, um, and a lot of drug humor that I think just went under the, the noses of the censors at that point. Uh, let's see here. Alexander Courage, who wrote the uh, theme for the classic Star Trek television show, has done. This is the second Star Trek death in like days, and he was 88. Alexander Courage uh, died in Pacific Palisades. He'd been in poor health for three years. So he wrote the uh, woo that? Yeah. All right. He wrote that. Uh, then the most important one of all, Harvey Corman, who we saw in person. Who we saw. I was looking at it. I was actually... We have that picture somewhere. I, it's up on my desk, actually. I have it. Yeah. Uh, he passed away. He was 81. He died at UCLA Medical Center after suffering complications uh, from an operation months ago. As a matter of his health started to decline last January, I guess, when he, too... Had a brain tumor, and I guess that part went well, and then he got progressively worse after that. So we saw him in, was it June of, I think it was June of 2007. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been last year about this time. Wow. I remember seeing him backstage, and you know, how can this guy possibly perform? Yet when he went on stage, it was the same old Harvey Corman. I think it was it was like a lot of performers uh, where he saves it all for the stage mm -hmm. and because it, so this is backup. So uh, we gave away tickets to Tim Conway and Harvey Corman on what turned out to be their last tour uh, last year. They were at the I think they were the Schnitzer, was it not? Yep. Um, and so we get and we were very lucky to have uh, Tim Conway come on the show. Tim Conway did uh, an interview with us, which was great. He was funny. He was charming. And they were doing like 120 shows of this a year. It was, that we saw. It was amazing. They were doing a show every three days. I mean, they were in their 80s, both and of as them. As many as six to eight in a weekend. I mean, six to eight in a weekend. Yeah. God, man. I mean, that's that's a, you know that that really is the old school work ethic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I and I hate to say stuff like this because it makes me. But it, this is really even predates me. This is actually even. This is not even really of my generation. I mean, it's just this is really from the 50s and 60s, where it is that work ethic of just cranking it out and cranking it out. Well, if given the opportunity, why not take it? And, and they just forgot how old they were. That's the thing. And you know, this might not happen again. We'll take what we're given. And you know, and as, and as somebody one, you know, if God gives you a thing you can do, why on earth wouldn't you do it? I guess. So they, and I think those guys also came from a, 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 a an era of show business when. You know, you really never knew wh where your next job was coming from. And I guess you still don't in show business, but, I mean, especially then, 
you know, in the back in the 50s and 60s, before everybody had million-dollar deals and agents and merchandising to sort of, you know, to sort of get you through the lean times. I mean, then you had to – it was a hustle constantly. You always had to be working. And so we had Tim Conway on the show, and then Tim and I were very lucky in that we got to go backstage, backstage and meet them, and then we got to go on stage and do the introduction for the show. And you probably have your 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 own memory of this. My thing was just standing there uh, talking to Tim Conway backstage. It was like a surreal experience. I mean, you're like uh, just a few inches from these guys. It was insane. I mean, because I grew up watching those guys on the Carol Burnett show, and then off you know in a series of movies that they all did, and uh, you know a lot of guys like myself uh, were first really exposed to the the real genius of Harvey Corman in the movie Blazing Saddles. I actually meant to bring something from Blazing Saddles, and I didn't, but um, where he played um, Headley Lamar. Mm -hmm. And I remember standing back there, and there was a listener there, too, a guy named Royal, who had won tickets, and he and a friend of his were backstage. He's actually the one that took that photo of us. Mm -hmm. And you know, and Tim, Tim, Tim Conway looked great, though. Tim Conway came yep. out and was just looked young and vibrant. And, we, and here's what I remember about Harvey Corman. Uh, you and I were there talking to Tim Conway. And, the, and I saw him walking down the hall, and I was startled. Corman. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like, how can he possibly perform? I, he, he really... stand up? He just it. did look amazingly old. I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but he just, he looked bad. I mean, he was, I mean, except for the fact that he was in a tux. I mean, he was like, he was like this corpse in a tux. Yeah. It was just, but he, I saw him just like you, to start, start to turn, walk down the hallway, and he shouted something like, Who's making all that racket? Or, you know, or whatever, like classic curmudgeonly Harvey Corman. And he came down and, and um, um, you know, and, and suddenly there we were, like six inches away from Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. It was amazing. I mean, you just don't think that life is so long that you will live to meet Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Mm -hmm. And they were so mellow. Harvey Corman just seemed, uh, he really did seem lifeless. Again, I was going to sound like I'm knocking him. He just seemed, he seemed like a guy who was in his 80s. Yeah. And... Then we introduced them, and they went on stage, and it was a whole different story. I mean, I mean, I mean it, it was like they, they came to life doing these bits that they did so many times, and it was like they they were doing it for the first time again. It really like the the classic dentist sketch uh, where uh, I think it's 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 Conway that accidentally injects himself as the yeah. dentist with the needle or whatever, and then Corman's the patient, and um, and Conway. There was this one sketch they did um, that I think dates from the Burnett show. Where it's Tim Conway is the is the attendant at the airline, and Harvey Corman is just trying to get a ticket, and Tim Conway does this, and I'm gonna I'm describing it badly, but Tim Conway did this great little moment in that sketch, where he is on sort of a microphone like a like an overhead announcement making an announcement at the airport, but the gag is that the microphone doesn't work and it keeps cutting out, but he's sort of doing it all live where he like the airport like it, and speak but like way better than I'm doing it right now and just and the guy's like 80 and he's just man it was just flawless. The the one the one scene, the one moment from that Conway and Corman show that I will always remember that I that I'm really glad I got to see uh you know in in my time on this earth is Tim and I were very lucky to be able to go out and introduce the show, and so we were kind of standing in the wings off the stage right at the Schnitzer. And so I'm, you know, I'm feeling all nervous and everything, and there was thousands of people, and it's, you know, introducing these guys who are just legends. And I remember looking backstage and seeing Harvey Corman, his hand behind his back, sort of bent over, sort of leaning over, and just pacing back and forth 
in like a 10-foot radius, just pacing back and forth behind the curtain, kind of, you know, doing whatever he does, getting finding his center, getting you know, his, it was like his pre-show ritual where he was just kind of sitting there sort of concentrating. And, I mean, it was just the coolest moment to catch him when he wasn't performing, he wasn't coming and, like, meeting fans or putting on a show. It was like him in a truly unguarded kind of candid moment where he was just sort of very focused and just very intently pacing back and forth. And I, I looked at him for just a minute. I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then we introduced him, and then the show was just fantastic. So, uh, all right. Well, so anyway, I, I went through tons of his interviews, and uh, I, I wanted to pick out something that I hadn't seen anywhere else before. Anyway, he's a classic second banana, and he realized, and he knew that he was never the star, but was very comfortable being second banana and regretted the times when people tried to put him on his own show because he realized people only accept me as a second banana. Right. So here's a little piece from an interview he did uh, actually over, over the past couple of years. In a certain light, in a certain context, and they don't want you anywhere else. They didn't want to see Harvey Corman in his own show. They wanted to see him with Carol and Tim. So I had a couple of shots of doing my own thing, and it never worked out. So I got, hey, I'm a wonderful second banana, and I ain't a star, and too bad. And, and it's and he, I, I saw him interviewed somewhere where he said that the reason he didn't think that he made it as, you know, the the, the primary star is because he said that he sort of felt like he always came off as a little too smug and a little too brainy. Yeah. And so it is very telling that one of the few sort of starring roles that really worked for him was the role of Hedley Lamar in Blazing Saddles because Hedley Lamar is a shrewd, conniving, manipulative villain. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he really flourished there. And, uh, and and just to go back and just restate something you said earlier, it was amazing for you. You and I were sitting in the crowd watching that show with the Schnitzer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I'm already just like over the moon because we got to meet him and we got to introduce him. And it was just so cool. And the curtain came up. And uh, you and I had just seen Harvey Corman backstage. And we're like, God, that guy seems really old and out of it. I, he's feeble. How will he ever do this? And they came out and they did like 90 minutes of comedy on stage. And I mean... A lot of it physical comedy as well, and you never would have known it was the same guy that we saw backstage sort of limping around. Um, it was really good. And so I, when I when I heard the news yesterday, I got I immediately got a whole bunch of text messages from people saying, you know, like Chris Nathan sent me one. He's like, Harvey Corman's dead. You know, this sucks. You know, rest in peace, whatever. And I just kind of, as corny as it sounds, I just kind of looked over at that photo of you yeah. and I and Tim Conway and Harvey Corman, and I'm really glad I got to meet that guy. I really am. So... Anyway, so there you go. So, Harvey Carmen, farewell to thee, my friend. Yep. All right, there's your snuff watch. And you know, the next thing I thought... The next thing I thought was that Don Rickles oh, has no. somebody else he can I put on the... I was going to bring that up. No, obviously, but no, he has... I, I'm thinking about that, but I was going to let you bring it up. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be the one to bring it up. <laughs> I was actually... Okay, fine. I was <laughs> going to say that Don Rickles has somebody else he can put on the list of people he's outlived. I mean, that's okay. the thing, right? I mean, because Don Rickles, you get the feeling that guy's just going to live forever. Yeah. If you saw that special of him on HBO where he's looking at the whole wall of photographs of his friends, and he's just like, dead, 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 cancer, dying, dead... Dead. He's just listing all of the people he's outlived. So now we can add one more to the list. So bonus points to you, Don Rickles. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right. Now that guy will be kept alive forever in a diet of pure hate. Right, let's do one more and then we'll take a break. Okay, this is a, a bit startling. 
Oh, God. Wait, do I, is this the one where I need to sit down? Is this bad? No, is this well, it, off-putting? It's unusual. <laughs> okay. According to numerous reports, Clay Aiken <laughs> is going to be a daddy. Now, both People Magazine and TMZ say the singer has impregnated 50-year-old music producer James Foster, who's a woman, uh-huh. through artificial insemination. Now, she has produced a whole bunch of his CDs, and she is 50 years old, and he lives with her when he's working in L.A. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, she was uh, she is due in August, uh, and the singer will have an active role in raising the child, according to TMZ, so I don't know where they get this stuff. I, there's so much about this story that none of it makes any sense. I don't she know. is the executive producer of his new album. She has been the executive producer for the past two years. Is, is there... What's her name? Her name is uh, James Foster. J-A-Y-M-E-S. Is there Mr. Foster? No, she's divorced and she has no children. Here's a picture of her. She's 50. She doesn't look that bad. Hey, she's pretty cute. Well, isn't it I'd impregnate woman? her the old-fashioned way. Isn't it dangerous for a woman who is 50 to become pregnant? And well, it's dangerous for a woman who's past the age of, I think, 35, they That's say, is when, when the risk starts going up. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to have kids past... Forty is not what they say. Or, what I I mean, not that you're not supposed to, but I think they said that every year past. These are all things I don't know. I think right, it's every you want a child with just one head. <laughs> I think it's every year past thirty-five. They like the risk starts going up like four percent or something. Mm. My my mom my mom was still having kids when she was. I think my, I was my mom was thirty-seven when she had me. She was forty-two when she had my brother. Uh, it's amazing we can walk. Uh, She's not a, She's not bad looking at all. She doesn't look fifty, and this oh. doesn't look like it's an all airbrush. I mean, it's black and white to be sure, but I mean. So he's going to be a daddy and not the sexy kind either. I, I don't understand. Listen, I swear to God, this is what it says. Foster was artificially inseminated, but clay is a lot more than sperm. Oh. <laughs> Kids, just write this down at home. Clay Aiken is a lot more than sperm, friends. Uh, we're told he will have an active role in raising the child. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, this is the sort of thing that's tailor-made for the Lycus show in like a hundred ways. Because why, why Clay Aiken's sperm? I mean, I if you're best, I'm reading about this. It says they're best friends. Yeah, but this doesn't it seem. Look, I don't even like to lend. You know, look. Here's the thing: you lend your friend your car for the weekend, right? right? You, you lend a friend the car for the weekend. So it's gonna, so, there's gonna be, there's gonna be repercussions. Comes back scratched, comes up dinged. So she says to him, "Hey, girlfriend, I have an idea." <laughs> Yes, I'm sure that's exactly how it was phrased. I mean, so do we know is she is she a lesbian? I well, she was married and she's divorced. I mean, she was married for 26 years. So was Cynthia Nixon. I'm just saying, is Cynthia Nixon a lesbian? Yeah, that is hot. Oh, she's been a lesbian for six years now. Uh, Good for her. That was remember Craig Gass was telling. I love the idea that she just woke up one day and just. Rolled the dice. Did his, oh, um, that's right. Yeah. Thing with her, and then the, the following week she, she turned her gay. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I don't know, and, and I guess if she hasn't said publicly, I mean, who knows? She doesn't look overtly butch or anything. I mean, no. She doesn't. Some edges. I mean, it. It's just weird. Here's the. I guess. I mean, it's just weird that you would choose Clay Aiken, even if he's a good friend of yours or whatever, because doesn't it, isn't that the thing? He's where a money pit. Maybe they're good friends, and he's just like, hey, I could take care of a child. I've always wanted to have a child. She wanted to conceive. Maybe it's just kind of a joint venture. But, for the two but then of them. why not just why not then if that's the deal, go all out and just get married? Do you know but what I mean? Maybe they don't. Maybe she wanted a child, and that was his gift to her. 
My gift to you. That's seriously what people do. My gift do. to you, the gift of sperm. Especially for, like, you know, older women, if, they, if they're single and they do want to have a child, then and, and Clay can say, like, hey, why don't you use my whatever. Take my seed. Take my seed. It just seems phenomenally ill-advised because, as I understand it, I'm no lawyer. Isn't that the sort of thing you can't sign your, your rights away to that, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if she says, like Lycus talks about it all the time, where these women who are like, you know, I don't want anything from you. I won't ask anything. You have no legal obligations. I won't demand any money. I just want your, I just want your seed. And then the guy does it uh, like an idiot. And then the woman comes back and she hits him for child support. It just, it seems like a bad decision for him because if he somehow changes it or she changes her mind and decides that she wants something out of him, you know, that he, it seems like she'll be able to get it even if they had some agreement beforehand. I don't think you can sort of waive your, you know, your obligation to provide child uh, support, uh, which is why they always say if a guy wants to do that, that he should just anonymously donate to, like, some sperm bank or whatever. Clay Aiken. Yeah. Like, why would why would they even make Maybe it? Maybe that'll, squ- like, squelch the gay rumors no, for but a that, while. No, but see, but that's what I'm saying. But, 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 but no, but that's, but that's ridiculous because nothing inflames gay rumors about Clay Aiken more than to say that he has... Not impregnated had, a woman twice his age. That he has impregnated a 50-year-old single woman uh, via artificial insemination that also produces his records. I mean, that, that nothing. there couldn't be anything that's more unsquelchy than that. I mean, if they really wanted to try to squelch it, you just do what Randy Travis did. You just marry her. So Maybe it's part of the contract. I Maybe. I mean, again, I, I don't really care. It's just sort of confusing. And I have to say a little unsettling, because now every time I look at Clay Aiken, I just picture that shot of him that was on the front of Yahoo a few weeks ago where he looks like a woman. Looks like Stephen uh, Karakaru or he whatever does, his name He is. does indeed. What's his name? Mr. Aiken, I heard you were becoming a lady. What? <laughs> that's Stephen... Stephen Kajigaro. Kajigaro. Or whatever. I've decided that that's how you pronounce yeah. his name. Jesus. And she is 50. Everybody's so repulsed by this. I'm not, I'm really not repulsed. I mean, I'm, Clay Aiken kind of gives me a weird feeling. I have to admit that. He makes me feel a little... Clay, and Clay Aiken makes me feel a little squirrely. I don't know why. And it's... Yeah, he's the Michael Jackson for the Generation Xers. I mean, but I mean, do I speak for anybody That's else here that... That's actually really good, the, Tim. That you find Clay Aiken a little creepy? And I guess it's nothing to do with whatever his presumed orientation might be. He doesn't seem like he has good intentions. It's, he seems... There's something off-putting about him. There's something... There is something sort of so... He'd kill you and eat you. Yes. There's something sort of so squeaky clean and scrubbed about him that it becomes dirty again. I'm actually, as I, how dumb is this? As I'm talking about Clay Aiken, I'm actually kind of putting my arms around myself and pulling in because I'm afraid that he'll grab one of my my hands and eat me. Uh, He's hiding under the desk, Rick. There, oh, man. Oh, can you imagine if you looked under your bed at night and Clay Aiken was there? <laughs> I'm going to look tonight. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of all the things you could do <laughs> Hi, y'all. I'm just under your bed. Oh, God. That sounds like a South Park Can episode. Can I bring that you? Uh, I mean, of all the things you could see lurking under your bed at night, I'd rather... You know they're going to make that a South Park episode, too, with Clay. Oh, of course. I would rather see a pack of wolverines on angel dust underneath my bed than Clay Aiken. Jesus. If only Don Geronimo were here to talk about this. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. More news with Tim Riley. Uh, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, Aaron Duran from Film Fever Radio. Uh, we'll do the top five songs written about horror films. Charles Band from the, horror, uh, the Full Moon Horror Road Show will be uh, in the studio later on as well. Uh, Dorothy Cassisari from the National Enquirer. And two pair of tickets to see... Wait, no, one pair of tickets. we got one pair left today uh, to see Mythbusters behind the scenes later on this year. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show.
So what's on in your brain to make that happen? I do not know. I left the room about two minutes ago. I just came back. Somewhere in that two minutes, I got a song stuck in my head, and I know I didn't hear it anywhere. So the question is, what happened in the walk to my office, back down the stairs and back into here to put a song in my head? What song? It's a Dirty Little Secret by the All-American Rejects. Just yeah, there's, no, there's no way that that's just Nobody here would be playing that. Well, all right. Maybe it's subliminal. <sighs> this email says, Rick, the courts have up... This is about Clay Aiken and his uh, sperm. Rick... The courts have upheld that if no sexual intercourse takes place, the male isn't legally responsible for the child. Says the likest perspective of women wanting sex, claiming for donation only, is a liable male. The artificial insemination with the legal means to keep her legally separate from him. Uh, and the subject line of this is, from a professional sperm donor. Well, okay then. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's talk about people who do it the right way. Reports that actress Angelina Jolie has given birth to twins that she and Brad Pitt are expecting to run true. A rep tells People magazine, quote, Angelina has not given birth. She is fine, enjoying her home and her family in France. There's been word that the actress may have delivered the twins last Sunday. Earlier this month, Jolene confirmed rumors that she and Pitt were expecting twins after actor uh, Jack Black let it slip out that he and Jolie were promoting their new animated film together, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Jolie and Pitt already have three adopted children together, ages six, four, and three, and one biological daughter who was two years old. The couple and their brood have been staying in France for a number of weeks. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is is used to meeting high-profile people from all around the world, but one of the most unusual encounters took place in Iceland. They're trying to soften her image. Therefore, she met the rock group Kiss. Apparently, they wanted to meet her, too. Although she didn't rock and roll all night with the group. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to take attention away from this uh, McClellan thing. Uh, she met with members of KISS and took photos with them at a hotel conference room. The band was not in makeup at the time. Why would KISS and Condoleezza Rice be in Iceland at the same time? I don't know. They're just trying to take attention away from some other things at the White House. Uh, she told reporters later it was a lot of fun to meet the group. <laughs> She I suppose she even knows she was there. Yeah, Rice admits to have been only to four concerts in her lifetime. All right. A homeless Japanese woman who sneaked into a man's house and lived undetected in a closet for a year has been arrested after he became suspicious when food mysteriously began disappearing. Uh-huh. Police found the 58-year-old woman uh, yesterday. I'm in a closet. Hiding in one of the top compartments of the man's closet and arrested her for trespassing. The residents of the home installed security cameras. They had transmitted images to his mobile phone after becoming puzzled by food disappearing from the kitchen over the past several months. One of the cameras captured somebody moving inside his house. Oh, that's oh, so, that creepy. Is so creepy. Where is this at? Japan. Oh, this is like the ring come to life. <laughs> this is totally like, this is exactly like watching The Grudge. You're just sitting there looking at a grainy black and white security cam of your own kitchen. <laughs> Suddenly some stringy-haired woman comes out of your bedroom and takes some of your food and then vanishes again. Wow. Or Clay Aiken. One of the cameras or captured, Clay Aiken. Somebody kept, they captured somebody moving inside the home after uh, the man had left. He called police believing it was a burglar. However, when they arrived, they found the door locked and all the windows closed. They searched the house. Checking everywhere anyone could possibly hide. When they slid open the shelf closet, there she was, nervously curled up on her side. <laughs> the woman told police she had no place to live and first sneaked into the man's house about a year ago when he left it unlocked. Uh, the closet was part of a Japanese-style room, one of several rooms in a one-story house where the man lived alone, or so he thought. 
Police are investigating how she managed to get in and out of the house unnoticed, as well as details of her life inside the closet and uh, if she had taken anything else besides food. She moved a mattress into the small closet space and apparently even took showers. She called, uh, the woman has been called neat and clean. That is, well, you would have to be. I mean, that's pretty weird that there was like a whole separate, like, shadow uh, apartment happening inside that place. Did you see that article online a while back? I forget exactly. It was some uh, online magazine. It was like Wired or somebody. They had this whole piece about a guy who secretly built an apartment inside a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. It was, there was. Oh, the, yeah, that was interesting. It was, it was a shopping center in, I don't know, New Jersey or someplace. And there had been sort of this room that had existed for putting like for building materials like it was it was a room that had just been uh it was like if you were in the mall there was an escalator and underneath the escalator there had been this sort of large janitor's type closet that had been there basically to keep storage equipment in and Mm -hmm. then when we were done they just locked it and they sort of like boarded up over it so this guy discovered the room and secretly built an apartment in there and he had like a couch, he had a kitchen, he had, you know, he had the, a television, he had the whole thing. So he had this whole secret apartment inside the center of a mall. Oh, that's genius. And he was there for like six, eight months until he left. The, I think I think a janitor either, like he, he either left it open or a janitor or somebody saw him coming out of there. And they opened it up and there were pictures of it and everything. It was fantastic. I love stories like that. Here's Tim Riley. So we touched on this a little bit earlier and I have more details now. This from AMC. Oh. Need a fix of Don Draper? Oh. Want to know if he or Peggy... Are dealing with motherhood? AMC officially announces the premiere of Mad Men Season 2, Sunday, July 27th, 10 p.m. July 27th. 10 p.m. Excellent. Now, to get you ready for the second season, AMC will have a Mad Men marathon of all 13 episodes of Season 1, beginning Sunday, July 20th, starting at 12 noon. And they're also, uh, let's see, they're releasing the DVD July 1st of Season 1. And it's available uh, pre-order. I will absolutely buy that. I will buy that as soon as it comes out. And they also, uh, oh, fans can also look forward to the release of the compact disc, Mad Men, Music of the Series, Volume 1. I thought we already have that. Uh, well, it's out on iTunes, uh, which is where uh, which is where you got it from. Okay. You got it from iTunes. I don't think you can actually buy the physical CD uh, of the Mad Men uh, soundtrack, which is too bad because it's really good. It's all like period stuff. It's like a lot of um, uh, Rosemary Clooney. Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, and then it's got that song, which is called A Beautiful Mine. Uh, by RJD2, which is that theme song. And then I think it has that Amy Winehouse track that, uh, what is that, Don't You Know I'm No Good or whatever? Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm no good. I think it might just be I'm no good. Yeah, but it's, that was they use that for Mad Men, too. It's just the best. I mean, it's not a perfect series, but boy, is it good. I mean, when Mad Men is good, it's really exceptionally good. I do call a little bit of weirdness on that whole spring and that Peggy pregnancy on everybody. Uh, sort of at the end. You know, Peter Carlin and I had a little bit of a discussion about that. He found that to be a lot more plausible than I did. But the character, I will say this, the good news, bad news about Mad Men is the character of Don Draper is so compelling that I have difficulty being interested when he's not on the screen. I mean, when Don Draper is not the focus of the show, uh, my attention does wander a little bit because because I, I always just want to get back to him because he's so, because he's just such a richly drawn, very enigmatic character. Uh, but that being said, I mean, in the way that I ended, uh, the way they ended season one, which is where he comes home and he has that fantasy for a moment that his wife and kids are still there, but then he realizes that they've actually left him, uh, and they they play Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, over the, you know, as he's sort of sitting on the stairs alone. It's just like, it's so great and sad and wonderful. Uh, all right, here's uh, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. So residents of Manhattan's Upper East Side flocked to the scene of deadly crane collapse, shocked that it's happened again. It comes on the heels of a similar incident in March, which killed seven people, 
Louise lives next door. You don't want to say that it, that's supposed to happen twice. I mean, if it happens once, it's bad enough. It's supposed to do something about security. So I didn't really think this could happen again. Uh, Kristen lives next door. She's always felt uneasy about this train. I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm not surprised. But definitely, definitely think something needs to be done to stop this. And because New Yorkers care about their neighbors, this man said the first thing he did was to check on the welfare of his. The woman in the corner whose apartment was hit pretty bad by it, um, it blew out her window. Uh, structurally, it took out her terrace, and uh, she was in a panic state. So I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of confused here. What what happened to the crane? Did it tip over? Did it, it collapse? It tipped over into the building at 91st Street and 1st Avenue Ugh. just after 8 this morning, mm. bashing the top floors of a 24-story structure and taking out a number of balconies. And one person is dead. And so how high was the crane? Does it how many stories okay, up it was? Mm. Because, I mean, those, you know, doesn't it weird you okay, out? Okay, so you... it's at least 24 stories high because it bashed the top floors of a 24-story structure. I mean, if not higher. It, it weirds those me out when I see like, those cranes. Like weird creatures sticking out in between buildings. And because you don't know how they stay up. That's mm. the other thing. Like, I mean, clearly they do. I don't think we have anything I really tipping do get, over in Portland. But... I get nervous, like, driving around in the vicinity of cranes, especially, like, oh. that huge one down next to the Hawthorne Bridge now. Do you ever get nervous? Let me ask you this, and I bet the answer is yes. Do you ever get nervous when you see something that is really, really, really high off the ground and you realize that someone has to go fix it occasionally? Like when you see, um, like, radio towers. You know, climb to the top. <laughs> There's a light bulb at the top of a radio tower. Well, they have, always have these Indiana Jones type guys. <laughs> totally climbing up with nothing. <laughs> uh, what do you got? Well, I got a two inch safety harness. Should be fine. That's the way my daddy did it. Change a light bulb at the top. There, the other. I mean, you will see. So every time you see a radio tower, a TV tower, and it's blinking red at night, when that light bulb goes out, somebody got to go up and fix that. Yeah, they're big. I mean, there's, there's, and I think people sometimes don't really realize that. I think people think that somehow there's like a robot that climbs all the way to the top and changes up the bulb. There's a guy that has to climb all the way to the top of a radio tower and change every one of those light bulbs. Or just like during the Christmas season when you're on top of the cranes and you see, like, the huge cranes and you see the Christmas lights going all the way out to the little tip. I don't even know how they do that. I don't know how they do it either, but they're all the way they're throughout the entire span of the huge crane. Oh, no, no, no. But, but if you look at all those little pictures from the 1930s, those uh, New York construction workers building the skies, sitting at the very top eating a sandwich. I have that picture in my bedroom. Sarah, yeah, in Sarah's apartment. She had, not that I've been in Sarah's bedroom, but you oh. have. Oh, yeah, you helped me when I lived on 21st. I remember yeah. you helped me hang that. I helped you move. And so uh, Sarah has that photograph of the guys sitting on the I-beam, and one of them is clearly drinking. That's the other <laughs> thing about it. If everybody knows that famous photo where it is a skyscraper being constructed in, I think, what is New York City, and... It's just the frame of the skyscraper, so it's these big I-beams, uh, which is those things that you'd always see in the Warner Brothers cartoons. And these dudes are just sitting there. They're le- I can't even talk about it. They're sitting there, just their legs hanging over the side, like a like a thousand stories up or something, with their lunch buckets. And if you look at the lunch buckets, I think one of the guys has what is very clearly a flask of something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and you all would, and I don't know if these stories are apocryphal, but you would always hear these stories about guys who would take a nap up there. What do you do? Well, I'm going to be sleeping up here in the 80th floor. You wake me up when my break is over. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for, you know, it was work and you had to get work when you could get it. But, I mean, Jesus, I can't even I can't even fathom that. So I do think about those Christmas lights on the crane, too. How do they even get those up they there? Kind of, yeah, I don't even see the holly jolly Christmas spirit in there. It's like, oh, I hope somebody didn't fall off of that. It's like when you see the flag on top of a bridge, too. You know, some guy just scale all the way up to the top and take care of that. Jesus. All right. 60,000 pounds of lobster lost in the Boston Fire. A fire destroyed a landmark seafood business on the waterfront early this morning. Startling rush hour traffic and raising fears, the building would collapse into the harbor. 
It happened at James Hook and Company, started at 3.30. There are rooms and rooms full of uh, corrugated cardboard boxes they used to uh, send out lobsters to people all over the country. Lobster. Damage estimated $5 million, and they lost 60,000 pounds of lobsters. Uh, former White House Press Secretary Scott McClellan's scathing new book continues to uh, stir up some controversy. Tony Blair was asked during his appearance on the Today Show today to comment on the claims that the Bush administration used propaganda and spin to sell that unnecessary war in Iraq. Well, I haven't read the book, which is the first thing I, I should say. Um, but I obviously worked very closely with President Bush all the way through that period of time. And people can agree or disagree with the decision, but I've no doubt it was taken in good faith. The former lapdog said he doesn't see much of a point in rehashing the past as he's done in this book. The most important thing is to focus now on the future, on stabilizing Iraq, and making sure that that is picture, a part of a picture of a region that is going to stabilize in the interests of, of all of them. Thank the maker. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. One of my close friends uh, changes up light bulbs in the top of those towers. Uh -huh. um, and it's insane. You know, you fit all the way up there. Uh, you know, they must have the best insurance and this and that. No, no. It's like little fly-by-night operations that work state to state. And um, most of those guys, you know, they live out in the country. You know, my friend does. You know, he's the last house on a logging road, you know. And, and uh, you know, he'll just go away to work for three, four months at a time, you know. Nothing's ever happened to him. But that, you know, one of his work buddies, um, you know, is still alive. But, you know. Not not doing well after probably 200 foot fall or something. Uh, on the oh. time. Well, and you think about those businesses where it's something really risky or dangerous or just sort of freakish like that. Mm -hmm. And there's there's only two ways that that business is handled. There's mm -hmm. either they either pay somebody a lot because there's a whole industry around it, or or it's as you said, just a bunch of kind of ragtag misfits that get up there to do that kind of thing. There's, there's no middle ground. That's either that's either guys out there who just kind of live life by the skin of their teeth, or there's or, or there is like an entire safety industry constructed right. and, around it. And, and and of course, you know, of course, my friend. Um, I mean, he's the one that taught me how to hang glide. You know, so of I mean, they, going along with that, there's that absolutely no fear of, <sighs> you know, whatever. Uh, but I've got a great photograph of him. It's, you know, like where you hold a camera out and you're smiling, you know. Right. And he's like 300 feet up. There's just uh, nothing behind him. There's just uh, nothing behind him. It's like he's pulling it up an airplane or something. Oh, <laughs> Thank wow. you, no. All right. Thank Good you. Show. Bye. God. All right. That's like, here's the other one I think about. I think about um, anything having to do with fixing a bridge. Uh, like, I think about, you know, when you build a bridge, you have those huge cement pillars that go out in the middle of the water, and then they build everything from that. I think about the guys that had to go out there in the middle of a raging river and build uh, those huge cement pillars that sit there. Like, the guys, I think about the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't even know how they built that. I mean, oh, yeah. I have no idea. Please don't call up and explain it, but I'm how just... How they build bridges? The Golden Gate Bridge, specifically, yeah. which is absurdly long. I mean, I don't really understand how bridges work anyway, but that's like the biggest bridge. Have I don't you ever been the... to the bridge in Astoria, the one that's like four no. miles long? No. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, it starts as a huge bridge, and then all of a sudden it's along the water for just like this really long oh. stretch between. Yeah, it's between Oregon and Washington. I, I can't even. I mean, I can't even get it into my head how you build things like that. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello, it's you. Hello, it's me. Yes. Yeah, you said robot, not robot. What do you mean? He was talking about the bridge, and he said there was a robot. Yes. But he said rub it. Oh, wait. So you're saying it's pronounced how? <laughs> I'm saying he said there was, like, some robot. I said he said rub it. Who said that? Rick Emerson did. 
So you're saying Rick said it. Now, wait a minute. I have to back up. So gonna... Rick doesn't know how to say robot? I'm gonna write... <laughs> yes, he said robot. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this down. So How do you think you would spell the way he pronounced it? Uh, R-U-B-I-T. R-U-B-I-T. I-T. Rub it. So does that mean we have a news bit? <laughs> so wait a minute. So this, how is the word really spelled? I want to make sure that I tell Rick correctly. Well, Rick Emerson. Yes. How, how do you spell the word that you're talking about? Uh, R-U-B. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like some gigantic robot. But he said it was some... Okay. Thank you. Bye now. All right. You didn't Gotta, see that coming? No, I didn't. Robot. Robot. That's how everybody pronounces it. That's what I thought. That's how Doyle Redland says it. Um, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. Hi. Yeah, I used, to, I used to put up what they call farm buildings around here. We did a lot of work down in California for the wine country, you know, in the wine country and stuff for warehouses and stuff. So some of them were pretty good size. And I worked with a guy that actually tested parachutes. He, you know, he would go out and test a new parachute. So there's a deal. They would give him one parachute that they knew worked and then another one that was sort of iffy about? Yeah. And, and he had no problem with that. But you get him up on the six-foot ladder, and he did the spaghetti legs, and, and the ladder would start shaking just like that, you know, rattling and stuff. When and ladders- you didn't want- you didn't want to be around him anywhere if he was going to fall because he was going to grab you and take him with, take you with him. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, oh. you're listening to KCMD Portland. Here's Tim Riley. Changing the light bulbs on the top of the interstate uh, Empire State Building. Oh uh. man! So here's a shot from the top of the Empire State Building, looking down as some guys are climbing up there, changing light bulbs. With nothing underneath them. Straight down to the city. I don't see why they can't train a gorilla to do that. Wow. All right. Seriously, isn't that, I mean, really, isn't that what monkeys are for? I would imagine so. I mean. Why can't a monkey be trained to change the light bulb? That's that's a really good idea. I mean, if we can train them to attack the Soviets. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, police have uh, linked the large-scale theft of fuel from a Western Pennsylvania convenience store to a specially equipped pickup truck trailer with a trap door and a vacuum hose. And nobody's been charged, but the truck and the trailer were found on the property of a man who owns a small asphalt trucking company. It's a very ingenious way of doing things. I've never seen anything like it, say the police. Uh, they're investigating whether the truck is linked to at least three thefts of gasoline, as much as uh, $4,500 worth, uh, stolen from underground tanks at the TikTok Food Mart. Uh, police issued a surveillance photo of the pickup truck believed to be involved in the thefts. Apparently, they open up this trap door, a vacuum hose comes down, and it steals all the gas. Excellent. I mean, you know, I mean, it's wrong. It's wrong. But it's that's sort of innovative, actually. You're listening to KCMD Portland, by the way. Uh, let's see. Don't forget, coming up later on, we have Aaron Geek in the City. Duran will be here. Dorothy Costaseri from the National Enquirer. Top five songs written about a horror film. Charles Band from the Full Moon Horror Road Show will stop by the studio later on. And another pair of tickets to see uh, Mythbusters um, behind the scenes. This email says, Rick... You should come up with a more fair contest for your Mythbusters tickets. You screwed a 22-year-old girl out of tickets because you gave her two songs that only old people would know. And then you give the tickets to the next guy. Rocky Murphys aren't old people. This is I'm just reading the email. Okay. From, uh, let's see, who is this from? Oh, this is from Seamus. He says, and then you give the tickets to the next guy who calls in by uh, giving a 40-year-old man a George Thorogood song. I think they're the luck of the draw, though. I mean, I certainly didn't pick those. Uh, I don't even know if Sarah really picked them no, by they, hand. I think they, they were, were just unlabeled. the ones that came up there. Yeah. So there's a mixture of music for all generations, sir. He says, you're like the um, 
He says you're like you're like that Benny Hill character who always lets the cute girls win on the fake TV game show. Uh, so there you go. Uh, P.S. Every time Sarah does that ring croaking thing, it creeps me the hell out. You got what you get for complaining. All right, here's Tim Riley. Complainers get the croak. Police are looking for a loaded fuel truck stolen from a fuel company in uh, Anne Arundel County, Maryland, overnight. Somebody cut the lock of a chain-link fence at the fuel company on the old mountain road and made off of the tanker truck carrying 1,800 gallons of number two fuel. Number two fuel. <laughs> Jeffrey uh, Silverman of the Anne Arundel County Police Department said that that is linked to the surging cost of fuel. The information that apparently this type of heating oil can also be used in diesel trucks to run the diesel diesel engines, so it's very possible, although we don't have any way to confirm that at this point, that that was the uh, motivation behind the theft, but it, it certainly is a possibility. Yes, it is a possibility, isn't it? Uh, this email says, hey, I lived in the Pearl District when they first started building all the new condos, and they had those terrifying cranes right across the street from me for months. If you look closely when those cranes are lifting something, you can actually see the vertical part of the crane twisting around when it moves. I was so freaked out, I just stopped looking at it. Mm. It seems to defy physics that all those construction cranes can even stand up. That's the thing. I mean, clearly they can stand up because they don't really fall over here in Portland anyway. They've got it down here. But I, don't, I really don't understand it, though. I mean, I don't really get the science of how those things don't just kind of go, you know, into the ground all the time. It makes no sense at all. Here's Tim Riley. So now they say there's a second victim. Uh, the first one was the crane operator, and now there's a second one, and now one other construction worker is in critical condition. So, two fatalities and one injury. A Central Florida woman was shot and injured after she asked, Who's there? after somebody rang her doorbell. Where? Where? The it's actually coming in a diplomatic pouch. Not the wrong soundbite at all, I'm sorry. Now, the lady was inside her home on Napoleon Drive in land when the visitor rang the doorbell. Knock, knock. Who's there? Death. She got no response. Uh, so the next thing she heard was a bang, and she now has, uh, non-life-threatening injuries, so. She shouldn't have asked who's there. I mean, <laughs> well, don't they have a the little peephole? You know what they need to design? Here's an idea. I was thinking about this the other day, because, you know, Terry from the street team, we do our Wednesday thing, are we going, you know. You still do that? Who's there? Rick Emerson, open the door, you know, or whatever. Uh, at which point I always expect a gunshot. But, you know what I was thinking? Is somebody needs to create a door peephole that does not darken when you look through it. Because sometimes well, you don't... really let you see something. What? Mine looks like all the way down the street. Really? Yeah. Is it and like... I don't want to look a mile away. I want to see who's standing in front of the door. <laughs> uh, they somehow, they've somehow given you, like, telescopic Superman yes. vision in your peephole. Uh -huh. but, but, I mean, sometimes, does it give you the fish eye, too? Yes. But sometimes don't you want to look out the peephole of your door without letting anybody know that you're home? Well, I never answer the doorbell. But I mean, I clearly have a sign that says no soliciting, but people choose to ignore it. Here's the thing. Can I tell you that we actually ignore that sign if we know it's a listener? If we know that it's a listener, we will we will disregard the no soliciting sign. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but we do. <laughs> well, you're not soliciting, right? You're just we're not what? soliciting. That's the thing is we're not trying to get them. We're not trying to sell them anything they're not already enjoying, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if they're not, because we do cold calling sometimes as well. So if it's not... If it says no soliciting, we don't know who it is, we just skip it. But if it says no soliciting and it's a listener, we always just brazenly go up and knock on the door. But we were knocking on somebody's door a while back, and, you know, they have the little peephole there, and we're like, Hello? And, and you look, and if you look at the peephole, there's a little dot of light, and then suddenly the dot of light is clouded over because you can tell that they are at the door looking out at you. And sometimes, I would imagine, you don't want anybody to know that you're even home. So they need to develop... You could become wealthy doing this as soon as you're done making that cane for blind people. Uh-huh. Um, they need, and as soon as I'm done making that weird bondage ring that I was talking about, 
on KCMD Portland, they need to make a peephole that does not shadow when you look out of it so that the person knocking the door, knocking the door, can't even tell if you're home or not. Because, you know what, if you look out and yeah, it's like some... there's like a little light built into the peephole that's kind of already... That's what I'm saying. It costs, like, if you look at it with some skank and you don't want them to know you're there. I mean, you, you want to be able to just silently, like, tiptoe back away from the door and she doesn't, you know, she's none the wiser. I can't remember the last time a skank knocked at my door. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's always tomorrow, Tim. I Keep dreaming. So. Skanks are always knocking at my door. Are they? Do you say who's there? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and, they, and they answer, oh, I think we know. <laughs> who's there? A skank. No, I just get a lot of clipboard people in my neighborhood. Would you I like think, to buy a clipboard? I ignore them all. Uh, all right. The only people who come to my door are Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't even get Mormons. I just get Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, all right. It's 503-733-2970. Um, should I take calls? Sure. It's a talk show. Well, we could just talk amongst ourselves. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hello. Hey, hey. Robot. Um, I don't know if you've uh, discussed this, but I was wondering when uh, Dexter starts up again. Season I... 3, August. Okay. That's, you know, I've always wondered why somebody hasn't killed, like, bad people. And I'd actually, other than the killing, I'd like to be like Dexter. But not really the killing part, but everything else. It's not that he's washing the blood off his hands as he speaks. So, <laughs> in, anyway. in, what, in what way? No, 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 you can't go away. In well, what other ways would you like to be, apart from the killing, how would you like to be like Dexter, sir? Well, you know how he kind of doesn't really like people um, that way. And then he's got a real good dry sense of humor, which, you know, who doesn't enjoy that? But uh, I don't know. And then he had some skanky English... Girl. Oh, Lila! Oh, yeah, in the eyes. You know that was kind of weird. How well I don't well, know. Don't I don't, ruin spoiler it for alert! But at the very last episode, Lisa, because I guess she killed her first creed or whatever the his stepfather's. Uh, well, let's try to avoid spoilers here. But so in so in what so you would like to be Dexter in the sense of having a skanky English girlfriend? No. Just, I don't know. I guess I like the show a lot. So, but I mean, what other personality traits does Dexter Morgan have that you, sir, would like to also well, possess? Well, you know how he has, you know, his little insights on life and, you know, his little very dry sense of humor. And, um, I don't know. I guess kind of the way he kind of avoids people. Yes. Do, I like that. Do you, as, as it now stands, do you, do you currently see any similarities between Dexter and yourself? Oh, yeah, I guess I have that kind of inner conversation with myself. How know? do those conversations usually go? What sorts of things do you what sorts of things do you have the inner uh, conversation about? Oh, I think uh which way Rick Emerson drives home at night. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um funny. But uh Yeah, I, Rick is a very bad man. Yeah. You know well, that, right? of course he is. Just think of all the money he didn't give to the Orphans or whatever it was. Challenged children, was. I know. Do you have conversations inside yourself about the people around you? Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, have uh, you taken yeah. have you taken any steps to become more like Dexter, sir? Um, I haven't bought any knives or anything, but uh, is that I haven't bought any knives yet? Well, yeah, I mean, I haven't actually gone and gotten the ones I've picked out yet, no. What kind of knives have you picked out, sir? Are they Cutco brand? I hear that's really good. That that would be a spoiler alert, too. 
Um, but no. Uh, Do you have a small list of people that have to be dealt with? Yeah. Actually, just, you know, read the newspaper every day. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Are you, are you keeping and compiling a list? In most of the Clackamas County. Um, Do you have a list um, on, like, written on paper and lipstick hanging on your wall? Or is it more of a mental list? It's actually it's spelled out in, like, you know, letters out of a magazine. You know, you cut each letter out. Yeah. That type. All right. Is it written in a secret code that only you can read? And probably you, too. You could probably read it, too, Rick Emerson. Because is it written in the secret Rick Emerson language? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when you, when you, let me ask you this. When you watch Dexter, do you have moments where you say to yourself, I can really see where that guy's coming from? Yeah. All right, then. Oh, but to be yeah. fair, we all, we all. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, all of us. Yeah. All right. When are you going to buy the knives? Are you saving up for them? Yeah, well, I might just pass the knife up and go right for the chainsaw. Well, the chainsaw does, uh, that's a way to get this things done effective. quickly. I would say that's like having a, it's like having a robotic knife, sir. Now, wasn't that, you had a caller one time that was talking, uh, the, uh, the, the electric knife, and they had to add noise to it because people kept lopping off their fingers? People kept lopping, lopping off a finger. I don't think you can really lop off the finger, though. I think the electric knife will pretty much just take off the skin, and then once it hits the bone, it probably stops. Maybe a hedge trimmer, though. That could probably get some, uh, that could get some work done. You've thought about this? Yeah, I, I have. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm not alone. No, you're not, you're not, sir. Okay. I'm in your I'm in your head thinking all of your secret thoughts along with you. I knew that. Okay. Thank you, Thank sir, you. and uh, Tim and Sarah. Uh huh. Thank you. And, and you know they're your friends, right? By the way, Tim. Yes, we're we're close friends. Tim, Tim was lamenting that not enough people come and knock on his door. By the way. <laughs> well, not anymore. Okay. Bye. Bye. Todd just sent me the. That's how I was laughing. He sent me the. Hilarious email. Okay. Wow. I'm gonna. We're gonna do some news here before we take any more calls. You sound kind of like Dave's in. <laughs> you need to read the. Dave is on break right now. <laughs> read the email that Todd sent you right now. Okay. <laughs> and you have to read it. Please be reading out loud. I feel like your delivery would be better. I feel like I. Uh... <laughs> I feel like I uh, like I should have. Uh, I don't have taken calls for him. Like ask the creepy guy who wants to be just like Dexter. All right. Here's Tim. Yeah, I think you ended that a little too, too premature. I should have wrung more comedy from it. Indeed. All right. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Did you know that more than 136,000 Americans fall off ladders each and every year? Yes. Dr. Tom Waters of the Cleveland Clinic says this time of the year, more people spend more time climbing up on roofs. Well, the most common injury seen in a, in a fall from a ladder is lower extremity uh, injuries, broken bones, fractures of the leg, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the severity of the injury goes up the higher the fall. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if I told the story on the air, but when we were doing the sound check at the listener party at the Crystal Ballroom, there's this guy. Oh, he who... told you not to jump off the stage because the ladder would fall. Yeah, because he's on this ladder and he's changing these lights on the ceiling. The floor's on springs yeah, or something. This ladder rocks 18 inches side to side. Please don't jump on the floor. Ladders freak me out, man. I remember being a kid. I had to put up like a basketball hoop or something. And being not even that high, it's only like 10, 12 feet off the ground. There is something uniquely terrifying about being at the top of a ladder. Because you never really trust that those little rubbery feet on the bottom of the ladder are going to stay there. And you don't trust that somebody's not going to run up and, like, kick the ladder and go, ha, ha, and run away as you plummet to your doom and paralysis. 
Jesus. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, the reason most people fall off ladders is because they don't receive significant uh, instructions on how to climb one. Two-thirds of all ladder fall injuries occur in non-occupational settings, meaning people trying to do things on their own. So really the take-home message is before you get up on a ladder, you really want to think about, is this something I should be having hiring a professional <laughs> to do and not getting up there myself? Or <laughs> <Earl> splat. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> what, Tim? No job too small to just splat. <laughs> this will only take me a moment. <laughs> this simple little job that anyone could do. <laughs> Top five things heard before rednecks kill themselves by accident. Why pay somebody to do this? I got me a ladder. Um, all right. Think about how many stories we wouldn't have if people stopped to ask themselves the question, would this best be handled by a professional? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, 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 you just give me some rags and a match. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, sorry. Hello? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, what's up? What's up, sir? Hey, I wanted to say I really enjoyed uh, your comment yesterday about uh, that guy who's in the pin squad that's not Richie or Timmy Ryan. That other guy? The no, other guy. Like, Adam? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. He's like uh, an for Arrested Development because... Literally, as many times as I've seen that, that series, I uh, kind of tilted my head aside and said, who? Oh, yeah, and that's right. So I really uh, appreciated that uh, that comment. We try to amuse, sir. Also, uh, in regards to your uh, Wednesday outings and meeting listeners, if uh, one were to say, I don't know, live in the suburbs and not in the Portland metro area, does that really automatically discount any uh, possibility for a campus? No, no, no. It's a, it's a big tent. We, we are willing to sully our uh, virtual hands by going to the suburbs as well. <laughs> Fantastic. I will say this. The second week that Terry and I ever went out to do our door-to-door thing, uh, and I think I mentioned this when it first happened, but we went to, um, and Tim will see the outcome of the story almost immediately, we went to 82nd, and we we knocked on, because the deal is, and I know this is inviting trouble, but the deal is we will stop to see a listener, you know, glorious bastard. If you're a glorious bastard, we'll stop to see you, and then we usually go to the two houses, on, you know, the houses on either side. So we'll see the listener, and then we'll see the house on either side of them, just to sort of convert them to the cause, blah, 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 blah. And so we will, you know, knock on your door, and then we'll talk to the neighbor on the left, the neighbor on the right. We, we go to see a listener. The listener's great. We talk to the neighbor on the left. Fine. We go to talk to the neighbor on the right. We knock on his door, and we're just kind of standing there looking unthreatening, Terry looking cute as a button, me looking professional. Standing, the door opens. A guy lurches into the frame of the door. His teeth grew in sideways. <laughs> and he says, you know, standing on my porch is a good way to get shot. And then he just stares at us with like that thousand-yard middle distance kind of gaze. And we kind of went, okay. You know, just like ran back to the station vehicle and left. We called it a night as of that moment. Uh, that hasn't happened to us in Tiger. I will say that. Well, that's what you get for going to 82nd. All right. Uh, yeah, that's true. I live in Newburgh. You're probably not going to get shot, but you will see a lot of rednecks. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to stop by there at some point. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. Okay. <laughs> this creepy in the air today. Yeah, we have a direct line into the crazy cortex of uh, the Portland consciousness today. I don't know why that's happening. Here's Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. As it should be. Well, now they're stealing wood from picnic tables. I don't know why I took them this long to figure this out. A man has been charged with theft and criminal mischief for stealing the wood from a state park picnic table to build a shed. Uh, they discovered that a 23-year-old man was uh, loading his Dodge Caravan with wood taken from a picnic table. According to the criminal ca- complaint, the man told the park ranger he was taking the wood to build a shed for his stepchildren. Because <laughs> they just don't listen! Crazy people. 
Then a Spokane investigator claims, oh, I hate these stories, he has found B.B. Cooper. Oh, God. Ah. I'm going to just skip this. I'm going to get the note and I'll go ahead and read it while I get some coffee. This is long. Ow. Ow. Galen Cook is writing a book on the man he thinks hijacked that plane. When the plane landed at uh, Seattle Tacoma International Airport, he released the passengers and blah, 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 blah. On the plane to Mexico City, he took the cash and parachuted for the plane's back stairs. It's unknown if he survived. Mm-hmm. Cook told the Depot Bay Beacon... <laughs> Always your first outlet for important news. Wolfgang Gossett's son called into a radio talk show last year and said he was convinced his deceased father was Cooper. Gossett died in 2003. Cook interviewed Depot Bay residents who said Gossett was a private investigator who was often referred to in the D.B. Cooper case. We should get somebody to confess to being D.B. Cooper. Somebody wholly implausible, like Richie. Call a press conference to confess that he, in fact, is Dan Cooper. So that's all they said so far. So I'm sure the story will get bigger as the weekend goes on. Well, that's not even a real story. So he's just saying... So this guy Gossett served in the military, then the Marines... Where he served one year in Korea. He eventually became a skilled parachutist and a survivalist. He later moved to Utah, where he worked as an investigator. According mm. to the Beacon, a retired Salt Lake City judge, who was Gossett's boss and close friend, said in 1977, Gossett told him privately he thought he might be in for some trouble and that he was involved in a hijacking in Portland and Seattle, admitting he was D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. Cook told the newspaper that Gossett also had four failed marriages. Five children of money troubles about gambling. Now, another purported friend of Gossett, a Newport attorney, said Gossett uh, once took him on a trip to Vancouver, B.C., to a bank where some of the ransom money may have been stashed. An eight-year-old boy on a camping trip discovered three bundles of $20 bills on the shores of the uh, Columbia in 1980. You know, I'm just so jaded about all these D.B. Cooper stories. I just... I, I'm I mean, not going to read them anymore. I mean, well, after the thing like three months ago where they found a freaking parachute in the middle of a field, I mean, did they ever even come up with a plausible explanation as to how that parachute did get there? No. All they said was, well, it's not D.B. Cooper's, but they never bothered to explain, like, why it yeah, would be what it was. buried underground in the middle of some farm. Mm-hmm. I mean, which it, it sort of defies probability. Well, whatever. Uh, don't forget, one random caller who gets on the air today will win the Puppet Master Collection on DVD, courtesy of Charles Band's Full Moon Horror Roadshow, coming to the Aladdin Theater uh, tonight. He'll also be in the studio later on with Aaron Geek in the City Duran. Um, well, all right, let's, let's do some of these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Are you creepy in any way? Uh, I can be. Uh, let's not. Go ahead. <laughs> you're just not thinking about this working high uh, uh, correctly. When you get up above the ground like that, you've got a 360-degree, you've got a fantastic view, but the most important part about working up high like that is the boss is not going to rush you. I suppose that's true, and, I, and you probably that is the very definition, I would imagine, of being your own boss. You can go as slow as you like. I wonder if it pays really well to be one of those guys that changes the light bulbs up on top of a radio tower. It has to, just like window washers. Don't they make a window washers don't get window washers don't get paid well. I've heard that. I've heard that window washers were paid much less than you would imagine. Actually, I used to do the Lloyd Towers. Uh, the Lloyd Towers. Yeah, the three the three big office buildings by the Lloyd Center. Oh, okay, all right. Mm. Uh, I didn't know there was sort of a term for that conglomeration. Well, how high are they? How many floors? I think the tallest one is like 20, uh, 24, 26 stories. So what is the deal? So you, you go up to the roof, and you start at the roof by lowering the, that window washing platform over the side? Yes. And is it, is it mechanized? 
Well, there's some, yeah, there's motors that drive it up and down. And then what is the deal? Uh, do you start at the top of the building, go all the way down, and then just go up to the roof and disassemble it, or do you go all the way back up and haul it back up under the roof? Well, you go, you you wash the windows on the way down. Right. And then you and then you trans and then you tr- you go back to the roof in a hurry. Right. And then the the the, the gantry for the swing stage is usually on some kind of a track or on or it's on wheels up there. So you move the gantry and the and the swing stage down to the next set of windows, and you lock it off, and then you repeat as needed, and you go around the building. Oh, see, so I didn't. Oh, okay, so I guess what I'm saying is, okay, let's say you have a square building. You're going to wash, and it's 50 stories high. You go up to the roof. You start at the 50th story, the top floor. Do you do that side of the building all the way down to the ground? Yes. And then you haul, and then you then the, the mechanics lift the thing all the way back up to the roof, and you switch sides. The motors. The motors, yeah. And then, but then, and then you switch sides when you get back to the roof. Well, yeah, that's true. But you're going to have to do like on the one well, of the biggest Lloyd Tower down there on the on the the, the widest side. You've got to do like uh, I don't know eight, ten drops. Jesus, but you you can't get because it, of... it won't all go all the way down to the ground. No, you can't go the whole width. Oh, okay, that okay. So it's it's the issue of going across. So you go yeah, all the way down the to the ground, back up, and then you scoot over a little bit, basically. The, sw- the swing stage is only 20, 25 feet wide. And the building is like 100 feet across, probably. Right. So you make one drop, go back up, move it over another 25 feet, make another drop, wow. bring it back up, and you go around like that. So you took out all these balconies all the way down. Thank you, sir. Um, so where, is this the crane thing in New York today? Yeah. See, the way it took out all those balconies? Yeah. So somebody had to be out in their balcony. Damn. Wasn't likely. Wow. All right. Thank you, my friend. Uh, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, police in uh, the Northeastern University area of Evanston, Indiana, say a wily thief or thieves stole an Xbox 360 and replaced it with an earlier Xbox model. The police say the popular video game system was taken from the uh, Hall government of Foster Walker Complex at some point. Uh, this is when the Xbox 360 was locked into a residence hall basement closet. When the suspect uh, locked the item up, returned to the closet and found it missing, a student found an older model Xbox in its place. And, of course, well, all the children there. I guess these are college students, aren't they? Yeah, Northeastern University, Northwestern University. So the kids are stealing these games. Uh, let's see here. Let's do uh, this. Oh, by the way, uh, when you get a chance, go to uh, rickemerson.com and or sarahxdillon.com and or rileylive.com. Please. Today is your last day to vote for uh, this fine radio program in the Willamette, Week, uh, Willamette Week's 2008 Best of Portland uh, poll. So the last time I checked, uh, we were up on Court and Fat Boy by just a little bit, uh, not by a whole lot. So uh, go in and uh, cast your vote however you, however you like if you, you want to vote for us. You don't have to fill out all of the answers either. That's the other thing. It's like a nine-page questionnaire, but I think you can just skip right to the part, you know, like the stuff you care about. That's so what like I did. The restaurant or us or whatever. Uh, so you go to rickemerson.com, sarahxdillon.com, or rileylive.com. Uh, click on the, uh, I think, on my page, and it's the first blog entry, and you uh, vote for us in the uh, Willamette Week's 2008 Best of Portland poll. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick, I got the answer to your contesting woes. Okay. Uh, I got the idea from yesterday when you had people calling in and suggesting contests yes, for sir. the tickets. So next time you have a contest you need to give away tickets or whatever, just open it up and let people call in with their ideas and you just say the best idea wins from all day, and then boom, you've got like 20, 30 ideas for the next 
Oh, I see. So just so actually keep a list of all of the various contesting mechanisms that are suggested. Right, right. And then you can just you have a list of contesting that other people thought of. All right, excellent. Thank you, my friend. All right, later. All right. You know, I did have a great one yesterday as I was walking the dog of all things. I had a good idea for a contest, mm. and it's going to be it's sort of like our spot the fake metal lyrics. It'll be sort of a variation of that, but it'll be called um, goth or not. And it's going to be, is it real goth poetry uh, that I found on the Internet, or is it going to be fake goth that poetry? That is genius. See, every, I like that better than the metal one. Ever, and it doesn't require me to go like, I ride a steel, his steed into the, you know, or whatever. So it's going to be, uh, is it real goth poetry that I found online, or is it fake goth poetry? Uh, we'll do one more, then a couple more uh, headlines, then we'll take a break. We'll come back uh, and continue around the corner. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi. Hello. Um, I'm, I'm here to pick your brains, but first I want to suggest for those contests, perhaps somebody out in a, a really cool mascot outfit and people jump up and slap 970 stickers on his butt. Or just kick him in the balls. There we go. All right. Uh, I will, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm trying to find out what happened to Lucy Lawless. And you guys are so smart about this. Stuff. Uh, she's on Battlestar Galactica. She is? Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's, you are uh, the god. <laughs> no, no, no. She's, uh, she's on Battlestar Galactica, and I think I haven't... Uh, the new one is out as of now, but I think only in Britain. Um, and so I don't know um, if she's back as of this week, but she played a character named Deanna uh, on Battlestar Galactica, and her... Anyway, long story short, her character was sort of put into like a suspended animation a few, a few uh, episodes back. Uh, but I think she may be returning in tonight's episode. I don't really know. But yeah, Lucy Lawless uh, is a she plays a Cylon on Battlestar Galactica. <gasps> that rock. Yeah. This is for Sarah. Yes. Yesterday, nobody took the courtesy to say goodbye. I want to say Are adios, Orava, Alfieder Zane. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. We were lamenting the fact yesterday that callers never weren't saying goodbye that they were just oh, hanging Ah, yes. And so that's what she was, she was doing, like a little, uh, she was doing a little Von Trapp thing there. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Well, the world today, we're going to first look at a, a, a supposed video of space aliens. The Rocky Mountain News reports Jeff Peckman claims to have an authentic video of a living, breathing E.T. creature. Peckman say the alien's about four feet tall and can be seen looking through a window. It was a little bit funny because his head popped up behind the uh, windowsill about four times, and yet you couldn't really tell if it was just him or him and two or three or four other friends each taking a look. What? Space alien. But I mean, where, but what is the... He's got it on video, he's got to show it to But I mean, is this like him in his living room and they're looking at his window? That's all he's telling And then he saw the head... That's weird. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Let's do uh, one more. We'll take a break. All those crazy kids, teenagers who go on the Facebook, crash Jody Hudson's 16th birthday party in Spain. They stole $11,000 worth of jewelry, swept designer clothing, and threw a TV into the pool. Police had to be called in to put an end to the wild party, but they did in, uh, arrive in time to stop the drunken teenagers from wrecking the seven-bedroom luxury home. All the banisters are broken. The walls are ruined. Carpets destroyed. Furniture broken. It'll take months to sort out. The wealthy family rents out the villa during the summer months for almost $8,000 a week. But they say they'll uh, be unable to lease out the home this season after the party crashers made this home uninhabitable. Those MySpace kids are at it again. By the way, I have nothing oh, to Facebook. say about Facebook or MySpace, but I did introduce somebody else to Zappos.com yesterday. And it's always good when you find something that is going to consume like a disproportionate amount of your time and money, but then you can get somebody else hooked into it as well. That's why I felt good when I introduced you to it. Totally. And Aaron buys a lot of things from there. Tim, do you use Zappos.com? 
Is that the shoe shop? It's an online shoe uh, emporium. No, I get the same shoes year after year. Oh, I just put new heels on them. Taking care of downtown. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Fat Boy, and he's a man that likes uh, likes shoes. And uh, so I was thinking, he's like, what's Zappos? And it's always great when somebody says, what's that? You go, what's Zappos? Let me tell you. And then I was like, go there right now. And when I left, he was just compulsively clicking through, like, all of the, uh, you know, like, all the retro, like, the, like the sneakers and looking. So uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back after this. More from Tim Riley. Dorothy Casaseri from the National Enquirer will join us here in a few. Later on, Aaron Geek in the City Duran. Charles Band for the Full Moon Horror Road Show. Uh, top five songs written about a horror movie and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. I need to build a sex temple. I don't mean for this to sound sleazy, but what do you wear when I put my baby in you? I'd better take off my pants. Take off your pants. Let me go to uh, the horny slut.com. Great like bosoms. Her bosoms. Uh, which are plentiful. It's really possible it's being hidden in my box. You must take my seat. I was waiting for the anus. No matter what you do in your life, you will never be as retarded as I am. Thanks so much. No worries. I especially like it when you play that as somebody is waiting to come on the show so they get to hear on the phone how creepy I can be sometimes. Thanks so much, Sarah. No worries. Back on my Christmas card list. Mm-hmm. 503-733-2970. The horror. Uh, all right, coming up here in just a while, Aaron... Geek of the City Duran will be Let's here. Let's not even get into that yet. I just... Is it us? Do we make people weird? Is that the thing? I mean, is there people who we know and, like, the, uh, do we have some sort weirder. of... I think well, you I, I think the fact that we're open-minded uh, encourages people to go it on a limb. I'm not really talking about us. I think we might be actually immune to our own sickness here. Uh, but I'm saying, does this show, while not making the three of us any stranger... Does it make the people around us weirder somehow? Do we have an effect? I'm not trying to be all like about us, but do we have some weird distorting effect on the people we know? I don't think so because they come here from other places. But I mean, once. But I'm saying once once we start to know people and spend time with them, do we make them stranger? Would you say that we have made Richie stranger in just the time that we've known him? Yes. Would you say that we made Scotty yes. J weirder? Would you say that we have made in this you case? Know, I, I don't believe that we make people weirder. I believe that the weirdness just starts to come out. Like they already had it inside of them, but then is that the thing? Like, do we provide some sort of outlet for people to let their inner, um, their inner bizarreness sort of out? All right. Well, in any event, uh, we'll get back to it. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the National Enquirer, our good friend Dorothy Casaseri. Hello, Dorothy. How are you today? I am great. How are you guys? I am fantabulous. How's life in New York City? Life in New York is great. Are you feeling the Sex and the City fever out there in Portland? I was actually just going to, we were just talking to a CNN correspondent from uh, New York a, a while back, and he's actually, a couple days now, he's been sort of on this. And so, uh, our and question, I've already seen it twice. Who, who's already seen it twice? Uh, oh, me. I'm, my I'm, pro- I'm, I'm, my producer, producer, Sarah. Uh, oh, wow. She actually got to see it on Monday night. Was it Monday or Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday night. Tuesday night is part of the critic screening. Uh, and then she saw it again last night when it did sort of a wide screening uh, here in Portland. And so she gives it the big. Have you been able to? Uh, you been able to see it yet? I'm going tonight to see it. So, uh, so the question is: So is it now? Because nobody goes to see that movie alone, right? Everybody goes to see it in like with a gaggle of friends. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. There's uh, girlfriends going. There's wives dragging their husbands along. 
uh, sisters going. I'm, I'm supposed to go with my sisters tonight, so we're looking forward to that. Would you? Say, we were having this discussion earlier about about Sex and the City, which is you know it, you know even the, whether whether you're a, a woman or a guy or whatever that it is it's a big sort of cultural moment. Would you? Can you remember another movie like this? that sort of had this effect on the female audience? Because guys stand in line for things all the time, but I can't remember another movie that that women got so sort of excited about. When I was in high school, I still have the four movie stubs to prove it. I went to the movies four separate times to see Clueless with Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That, I think Clueless is the sex in the city of the past. <laughs> All right. Okay. So so it is so every generation then has its own clueless. Um so all right. Uh so I'm, so I'm looking here at, at the the cover of the new inquirer and so there's something bad happening to Dr. Phil and the print is too small to see anything uh more than that, but we sort of root for his downfall at every turn. So I'm always glad to see when some fate has befallen him. Uh it just says something Dr. Phil something something divorce. That's all I can read. Dr. Phil's $200 million divorce, plus, which you probably can't see, this tiny little circle that says, plus, his cheating scandal exposed. Uh, who would cheat with Dr. Phil? Who would look at Dr. Phil and decide that that's a person with whom they want to have relations? I mean, honestly. To each to each her own, right? Uh, I, I suppose. I guess it's a big world out there. He doesn't really seem like a sexual dynamo when I look at him, but maybe that's just my read on the proceedings. So. Ooh. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so everyone is, has different tastes. Is this his wife dumping him, or is this how? What is happening? Well, him and his wife have been on the rocks for quite some time now, and you know we've been following the story all along. And now they're engaging in this two hundred dollar, two hundred million dollar divorce battle, um, and you know they're they're basically doomed. I mean, their their marriage is just in complete chaos. And so, from looking at it here, uh, it looks like this is $200 million. Is that sort of what she is asking for, or is that like what the lawsuit claims? Where's the $200 million figure coming from? What is that? It's going to be it's going to be what he is going to be expected to be giving her. I, you know, I never feel more poor than when I read about some divorce settlement where just the amount that the guy is giving to the woman or the woman is paying whatever. Because I think Bill Murray yesterday, uh, his wife filed for divorce. And there's something in the prenup where if they split up, he agrees to give her $7 million. I mean, just the idea that you would have $7 million laying around to give to your wife when she leaves makes me feel unbelievably impoverished. Doesn't it? Doesn't it, though? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't even fathom it. Um, I know that we're running a little bit uh, late today, but I will say, have you heard any of the sort of uh, rumblings about, uh, about Clay Aiken, uh, I don't know, impregnating some, impregnating oh, some woman? Yeah. Oh, yes, we have, and we have been working the story all week, and we are going to have a juicy, juicy story for the next issue that comes out next week. The phrase Clay Aiken and juicy and impregnation all in the same sentence makes me feel a little, a little awkward, but uh, so that'll be, that'll be next week that you have that. Yes, yes. That's going to go in the paper that, that will come out next week. All right. As always, a pleasure. Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer. We'll talk to you next week, Dorothy. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. There you go. Ugh. Juicy. Mm-mm. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, hackers took over Comcast's web portal for several hours overnight, denying 14.1 million subscribers access to the cable company site for email, news, and technical support. Apparently, it went down shortly after 11 o'clock Eastern Time. That was replaced by a note saying the hackers had rocks, Comcast. That's R-O-X-E-D. 
A Comcast spokesman said the hijacking had been reversed in the morning, and there are some users still unable to get Comcast.net. There's no indication that email or other private information was compromised in the attack. It was fantastic. Actually, if you went to Comcast.net, there was just this little note. I just... Hacking is wrong, and it's a crime, and it's a whatever, but but hackers are great in that it's always kind of the same thing. It's always got elite hacksaws, rules, sucksaws, blah, 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 5, 9, 11, D. I mean, it's always done in the same hacker speak. So no matter how technically, it is that same combination of really, really bright and really, really dumb that you see in all criminal enterprises. So no matter how technically proficient and intelligent they may be, when it comes to sort of uh, defacing whatever the web page they've hijacked, it's always just like the same mixture of Qs and Zs and Xs and a bunch of upside-down sevens. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Don't forget the fireworks tonight. It's the uh, the Wamu Fireworks Spectacular begins at 9.45 at the Wamu Waterfront Village. And everybody hates parades. There's one tomorrow night at 8.30. It's called the uh, Starlight Parade. A whole list of things to avoid. It begins at 8. Nothing's more boring than a parade, no. waiting for the next thing to happen. People <laughs> going by in a car waving, and you're waiting 10 minutes for that car to go by. And 10 more minutes, another car with more people waving. Which is a thing I can really see, like, on the street in front of my house for free at any point. And is where does the Starlight, just so I know where not to be, where does where does the downtown, Starlight Parade happen? I don't have the parade route. I don't know, but but usually it's, it's, it's through downtown. It's, it's spectacularly boring. And it's, the, it's, and it's the sort of thing that happens at 8 o'clock at night, but that they start closing all the streets off for it like noon, right? Oh, don't people put chairs out or something? No morons stand up. They get out there and they duct tape, uh, they duct tape yeah. down spots, and then they put lawn chairs or something. I mean, never mind. I don't want to seem like I'm just doing a whole thing about parades, but you really do highlight a point, which is who, when is the last time anybody here went and, like, camped out to watch a parade. Sarah? Fifth grade, I think. Tim? I went to one of these Starlight Parades a couple of years ago. Just, like, as a newsman, to kind of scope out the scene? For about ten minutes. Yeah. Then it was too boring. I mean, because isn't it really like car drives by, wave, repeat? And then, whatever you want to see, there's always somebody tall, taller standing in front of you, so you missed it anyway. <laughs> you turn around and you sort of see it, go, you see it going off in the distance. I missed it! Ah, Damn! <laughs> All right. If there isn't a gigantic inflatable Snoopy that runs the risk of crashing into a group of children, I'm not interested, really. Or knocks down a light pole. That's it. Yeah, Those are my kind of parades. It's not a disaster at hand. I don't really care. I can't be bothered. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Oh, is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Joy Division. And here we are. Okay. Sorry. Well, no, a couple of days ago you guys were on the top five, and uh, I was just wondering why um, this kind of seemed like you are putting it down. Well, we just couldn't. We were talking well, Rick about. Rick um, isn't very well schooled in Joy Division. Yeah, I just really know never. I don't really know a whole lot about alt pop, uh, sort of alternative music in general. I'm not very well versed in, and specifically alternative music from the 80s. I don't know anything about. So well, actually, it's late 70s to be exact. Is that I mean, one from? See, so sure. behold my behold my lack of knowledge. And the thing that sort of was intriguing to me about the song, which I, I don't think I'd ever heard before, is that. In every, we, we played like four different versions of it, and in all of them, it sounded like the singer was in a footlocker in the next room. Yeah, I know, but that's just that's just that one song. I mean, there's so many other songs they have on there. It's it's kind of like that, but I mean, they're good enough to be copied by you know the Killers, copied one of the tracks, you know, also uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, I'm not anti Joy Division. I don't have anything against the band. I just wasn't really familiar with it, and it for Tim and I kept asking if like the microphone was not working or something because it was sort of it was sort of like the band was in one room and he was in a car that was driving by the studio and he was just shouting his lines up to the uh, you know the microphone upstairs. Right. Um, that being said, I did hear from a lot of people that were that were really into those guys, and I guess they. 
What is it? They, the Joy Division became New Order or something? That's right. They did. Yeah. Well, the lead singer, Ian Curtis, he hung himself for oh. reasons people don't know about. And then the rest of the band became New Order. And, and uh, less joyful than the rest, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, now, as has been well documented on the show, I know almost nothing uh, about a certain era of alternative music. Uh, you know, my, my wife, this doesn't happen as much anymore, but for the first few years my wife and I were together, uh, she would, she's, you know, she's a big 80s alternative girl, and she would play some song that had been really big in 1987. I mean, I remember she played me, um, uh, well, Alphaville, the song Forever Young by Alphaville. And I mean, I think it was, that was in, Jesus, that was in like 1998. I heard the song Forever, and I'd never heard it. And I thought it was a brand new song. I And she she had to explain to me that it was from like 15 years previous, and I had no idea what it was. Um, you should try to, uh, there's a movie called 24-Hour Party People. You know, can I tell you, I've gotten probably 50 emails in the last three days about that movie, whatever it is. Yeah. What well, is about, that movie? It's Okay, it's about the, um, the, there's this guy named Tony Wilson, and he created Factory Records. And this came out during the time of, like, um, Sex Pistols, and then there's other bands that came out that were kind of, it was kind of like he was creating, it was between Joy Division and New Order, and like New Order... They came up with other bands like New Order called, mm-hmm. like, the Happy Mondays, I think they're called. Right. And uh, it's just basically about him, but, like, there's other major bands around him, and it's kind of like the Manchester kind of rave cultures with the, the, they kind of started out with, and it kind of boomed from there. And that's what kind of movie kind of takes place. It, it, that's the background, but the main character is Tony Wilson. And it's a, but it's, and it's a documentary? It's, no, it's actually a movie. I mean, the actor is a... Oh, like a, a biopic. Like a docudrama, I think, yeah. in some ways. See, yeah. and, I, and I like that. I want you to think it's not like I'm anti the band or that I'm like opposed or anything. There's just there's whole sections of my musical knowledge that are just really spotty because during the mid to late 80s, I was just kind of busy being, and up up to, through the 90s, actually, through it, like the early 90s, I was kind of just busy being like a metal purist. And so if it, like, you know, if it wasn't metal, it was crap, and I just didn't listen to it. And it wasn't until, I, I would say it wasn't until, like, Oasis came out that I really, that I really once again became interested in sort of in sort of Brit pop and what could kind of be called mainstream alternative music. So it, uh, I went through a long period where I just wasn't familiar with any of it. So right. uh, all right, I will check it out though because so many people have recommended it to me. So thank you, my friend. Yeah. Do I do I win? <laughs> what? Do I win? Oh, Richie, is this the, is this the random caller? Does he win uh, the uh, Puppet Master series on DVD? I do believe it is you, sir. Wow. Well done. All right, I'm going to put you back on hold. Uh, Richie will get your information. There you go. Fantastic. All right, let's do uh, one more here, and then we'll take a break. Well, those wacky polygamy kids are coming home. Texas authorities are sending them all home, 400 of them. All the parents have to do is come forward, show some ID, and promise to take parenting classes? (laughs) What would they entail? I don't know. Uh, Lay still and don't make any noise, or Daddy will smother you. And they must remain in Texas. Uh-huh. Like they want to go <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that, that sounds like a big prize. It, it does. Congratulations, you get you get to to stay in Bum Rump, Arkansas. Jesus. Well, that's all they know. I suppose. Doesn't it seem like there ought to be some sort of dark, wacky sitcom set in a polygamous compound? Mm-hmm. I mean, fun. not like the sort of serious kind, like Big Love, but I mean some uh, some sort of edgy uh, South Park style series. Mm-hmm. Uh, this email says about chick bonding films. Uh, this woman, Jen, says, what about Mean Girls? My girlfriends and I get together to watch Mean Girls all the time. Also, Valley Girl, Valley Girl, uh, with Nicolas Cage, and Strictly Ballroom. 
uh, signed uh, Jan Besch, however. Uh, let us quickly be joined on the phone by our good friend Dennis Pitsenbarger from Miles Around, airing Saturdays 9 to 11 right here on AM 970. Hello, sir. How are you doing today? Hey, sir? what's up? Uh, you know, just uh, saying hello. Actually, I was talking to your guest that's going to come on away. Man, that guy, he's blown up more cars than I've even owned. I mean, that's got to be the one guy in the world that's actually blown up more cars than I've owned. I mean, he said in one movie he built, it was like 50 cars he blew up, and then he said that was half the fun of building movies. Well, I mean, what's the point of making a film if you can't send something on fire or have, you know, rivers of blood pour out of something? Well, see, that doesn't work for us and, and miles around because whenever I blow up a car or set something on fire, it's in the back of the CBS parking lot. So right. Right. Um, that doesn't always work out for us. Well, what can you do? But, uh, no, we're just looking up. Uh, it should be a fun show this weekend. we got the guys from 24 Hours of Lemons. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for that hookup. Oh, um, awesome. We also, yeah, those guys are going to come in studio. Uh, we got guys uh, from the PBR Club, and I don't mean the PBR as in the fun after you're off the motorized vehicles, but the Portland Buell Riders. And Car Wars this weekend is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, Uncle Buck's Mercury Marquis versus the family truckster from the uh, infamous Vacation movies. Well, okay then. Uh, so and then you so that's so you guys are doing that tomorrow, and then um, uh, and then so. Did you have somebody else coming in tomorrow that was notable? Is there somebody, or maybe I'm, am I hallucinating that? Well, no, we got, actually, we got some really big guests set up for the next three or four weeks in a row. So, uh, but no, those guys from 24 Hour Lemons and uh, the guys from uh, the Portland Buell Riders are going to be big. Um, but we do have some guests that are going to be coming up over the next few weeks. And, and that, and then I'm uh, kind of, I'm packing up my office up here. So I, uh, you only get to see me once in a while. Now. Yes, I know I that. Be, the, I won't be, the, like, uh, hovering outside your office door. We'll be moving on to the world of miles around exclusively. Yes, that will be my uh, my day gig exclusively now. But uh, it doesn't mean that. I think I'm actually just going to come and just hang out by your office anyway. I know you always feel Please do. Try to you. hover in the doorway relentlessly. Well, I was going to hover right outside the studio, but they, they're trying to do construction down there, so I was just getting in the way. <laughs> All right. Miles around 9 to 11 Saturdays, immediately preceded by Car and Driver Radio. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Dennis Pittsburgh. All right, well, take a break. Come back. Aaron Geek in the city Duran after this. Charles Band will be in the studio, and we'll do today's top five, top five songs written about horror films. Stay there. We return. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Aaron Geek in the City Duran joining us here in just one moment. Uh, just a few minutes, Charles Band from the Full Moon Horror Road Show will be here. Uh, that's happening tonight at the Aladdin Theater. Tonight at the Aladdin Theater. Tonight at the Aladdin Theater. Uh, let's see what else. Like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. Still to come today, uh, top five, your top five songs about a horror film. Uh, that's on the way as well. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Amuse us. Hey, Rick. Hello, how can I help you, sir? Um, I was just wondering if you'd ever been turned on to Red vs. Blue. Uh, Red vs. Blue, which is, you mean the, the Halo sort of online comedy, sitcom thing? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I've watched a couple of them, because it's a whole thing, there's like dozens and dozens of episodes now, right? Yeah, there's, yeah, they're, I think the series is actually wrapped up, so you probably go... See the whole thing all the way through. Red versus blue is one of those things that I was sort of aware of, and I kind of watched it a little bit, but I never really. It's just it just kind of slipped through the cracks in my schedule, and I never really watched all of it. As I understand it, it was basically it was these short sort of comedy vignettes, but they were acted out by using uh, the imagery from Halo Two, correct? Well, Halo first, and Halo. Halo, and they graduated to Halo Two. 
Is it? Um, is that? I mean, it's not the thing that they could ever really release on DVD or anything. Yeah, because all the, really because I would imagine all that would belong to Bungie. You know, all the imagery or whatever. I don't know how they they uh, do it, but um, you could. Uh, I never did, but I know a lot. Some of my friends got it at like uh, GameStop or something. Excellent. You know? uh, well, I, I suppose. I suppose at this point, if there's enough money in it, they could probably just get that cleared through through Microsoft. Yeah, I'll have to check yeah. it out. Yeah, you can pick them up. And oh, I also had an idea for a top five. Yes, sir. Um, top five, uh, Tim Riley's top five news stories from um, whatever period, like you know, like since you've been doing the show, or like from this week, this month. This Tim year. Riley's top five news stories from the seventies, perhaps. There you go. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Do we have breaking news? We do. Let's now go to Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Breaking news: Peacocks have been banned from roaming the Oregon Zoo. Peacocks will no longer be allowed to roam the Oregon Zoo grounds. The change in policy came in the wake of that recent peacock scratching of a young four-year-old boy's face. So once again, everybody else must suffer because children don't know how to behave. Once again, free-roaming peacocks have been the mainstay of the Oregon Zoo for decades. It just took one person to ruin everybody's fun. The weak link in the entertainment chain, Tim. You know, it's always children that get good things taken away from the rest of us. Aren't animals and birds supposed to be in a zoo? I'm enjoying their natural <laughs> habitat? All this for one boy? You know, not to be in a zoo as children, Tim. That's really who ought to be in the zoo. They're taking away the valuable childhood experience of being scratched by a peacock. Has anybody really asked uh, the parents why uh, they weren't keeping an eye on the kid? Well, it's everyone else's responsibility to watch others' children. I suppose. I guess we now give one child and his parents veto power over everybody else's amusement, as we do with everything in this country. Once again, you may no longer enjoy peacocks because of one person. All right. There you go. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Aaron Geek in the City, Duran. Hello. Hello. Wow. Wow. I don't have your uh, I don't have your sounder handy. It's one of the things I lost uh, when the, when they moved computers here. So I have to find the uh, I have to find no. the that I'll have to find go. that again. Hey Richie, can we uh, bring Charles Band into the studio as well? We're sort of running a little bit uh, behind here, so we will have Charles Band for the Full Moon Horror Roadshow uh, join us here in the studio. That's happening tonight at the Aladdin Theater. Uh, and then uh, we'll also have, uh, let's see, we'll also have the top five coming up, top five songs uh, written about a horror film, Like Us at Three, Mike O'Mara Show at Seven, and so forth. It's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show, the one and only Charles. Man, hello, sir. How you doing? Great. All right. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us today. By the way, I have to tell you, there's a guy who works here named James. He works in the afternoon, and he... He heard me say the other day we were doing this sort of this thing where I said you know one random caller you know they will win the Puppet Master series on DVD and he looked at me and he said in all seriousness he goes I would sell one of my organs for the Puppet Master collection and so I mean he was uh, the guys who you have really carved out a niche in in you know in a specific kind of film a specific uh, marketing a specific kind of horror movie and uh, really occupying sort of that weird that weird slice of the American culture that is somewhere between mainstream and, I don't know if you will call it B-movie or if you call it, I mean, I've heard it called trash cinema, I've heard it called uh, I think Lloyd Kaufman called it the, Lloyd Kaufman said that you know there's just the red-headed stepchildren of the horror industry. How do you describe the kind of movies you make? No, I think they're um, they're they're relatively mainstream back uh, in the late 70s and 80s they were all released theatrically. I made pictures like Ghoulies and Reanimator and yeah. From Beyond and Dolls and it's just that today most of the huge uh, studio tentpole movies are $100 million 
B-movies, basically. You know, adventure films, fantasy films, horror films. So our budgets are lower, but we try to keep edgy and different. And uh, my films are pretty populated, pretty much populated by puppets and dolls and little freaky characters. Because they're evil. They're, they're evil. I remember seeing Ghoulies, actually, in the theater when it first came out, which would have been, what, 85? Yeah, 84. 84. Like I remember going to see Ghoulies with my mom, who was at that point going through a really devout Christian phase, so I don't really know why she was taking me to see a movie about demons anyway. I think she may have... I think she may have been trying to take me to see Mr. Mom or something, and Ghoulies might have been, like, we might have walked into the wrong theater. So I was there, and I'm, like, 12 years old, and we're watching, and I just remember seeing, if I'm remembering this correctly, just some, there's, like, a guy drawing a pentagram on the floor and saying, Lucifer! And then there's, like, a demon coming out of a toilet. And I remember sitting there going, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And then my mom, at that exact moment, of course, my mom said, we are leaving! And she grabbed me by the hand, and we left the theater, and I had to wait and rent it on a weekend later with a bunch of my friends. Years later. Yeah. Such a bummer, but, you know, we're doing some ghoulies stuff tonight at the Aladdin. Ghoulies had a campaign where this nasty creature was popping out of the toilet. Yeah. And the copy line was, uh, they'll get you in the end. Yeah. And <laughs> what happened at that time is we had, it was a very successful independent film, but we had, I had thousands of, uh, a lot of hate mail. There was no email back then, just right. hate mail. Because they would say in so many words, you blank, because there were a lot of bad words in these letters, you have ruined our child. We've been trying to potty train our kid forever. <laughs> no, and now no one, he is not going near the toilet. Now I'm on the road doing this, this show, and I got 20-odd-year-old dudes coming up saying, I was one of those guys, man. You kids in plastic me. pants. I'm sorry. I can, until now, I can't go near the toilet, Charles. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and one of the great things uh, about the era in which I grew up, and I think I speak for Aaron here as well. Aaron's, you know, like a, you know, it's kind of our house nerd, our house geek. Um, you know, in terms of geek culture, he's kind of the go-to guy. But I've I've read a lot of sort of articles about this and guys talking about this magical sort of period from I would say like '83, '84 up to I would, you know, I think probably just the last couple of years where there was this glorious sort of vibe in a certain kind of video store. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in the, like the blockbuster, the Hollywood video. Every neighborhood had a video store. And every video store like that had this one section. And it was just rows and rows of these great B horror films. It's true. And you would you would see the cover or you'd see a tagline or you'd pick it up and you'd read the box and it'd be like a cheerleader covered in blood and you'd go, That's it. That is one <laughs> and you would you'd run like nine or ten of those and that would be your weekend. That's, That's actually true. what we we had that in Susanville. We had it it's probably still there. And it was called uh, All the Best Video. And we actually that video store it was run by just a bunch of geeks also. And that video store had the full moon had its own aisle. Right. They didn't even break it up in the horror movies because they got tired of telling people go to horror, go to here. Right. Yeah, so they had you know, where can I get, you know, subspecies three? Yeah, the full moon section. <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, no, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking and, about. And that's, that era is kind of over because yeah. most of those stores are gone. Yep. And now we're sort of morphing into the, the digital delivery era where at some point, hopefully soon, people will be able to find these, you know, online somewhere and download them. And, you know, it'll be sort of a similar vibe, but it won't be as fun as that. That kind of nasty video story. Well, yeah. What is it? What is it like to be? Do you think for someone who is trying to make sort of B horror films now? Is it easier because of the technology, or harder because, as you said, you get Cloverfield, which is an eighty million dollar B movie? Right. Killer question. Okay, so the the shortest answer possible. It's it's a little bit of both. You know, the price of entry back when I started was a lot of money. Back then, it was you know in the seventies, three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. It was hard to make a movie less expensively. Because you had to finish a movie on film. I mean, your only release was a theatrical release. There was no video. There was no Internet. There was no nothing I mean, for anybody. 
who's not a, who wasn't around back then. So you know the cost of production and post production and film was was a lot of money. Today, for no money, you can really put together a faux movie. You can put it together. You can cut it. You can make DVD copies. You can put some artwork, wrap it around that cover, and you can say, hey, this is my movie, and people are doing that. And, you know, now the question really is, you know, who's got some talent? And most of it is, you know, hard to watch. And right. that's that's just where we're at today. The other problem, of course, is there there's so many different ways to get the movie out there, but most of those channels are really closed to independence because they're owned by the major studios. So it's kind of hard to get the product out there. That's the bummer. And that's why I'm hoping this uh, digital deal will even out the playing field where if someone's into the next Puppet Master, they'll know how to find it, and for three, four, five bucks, they'll download it, they'll find it on iTunes, and then we're we're okay. You know, that sort of becomes a cool thing. Is it more and more important, do you think, for filmmakers to, to, to find a niche, to narrowly define the brand uh, they do, where you figure out, this is the one thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it really, really well? Well, that's, that's a great thing, and, and I'm, I've survived over these years only because this has been my niche. If I had made, like, well, like all of the producers or directors I know, pictures in all genres, I'd be sort of lost somewhere. Um, but I've focused on horror films, and people know the movies, and I've sort of survived because of that. People know if it's a full moon movie, it's going to deliver something that they hopefully will enjoy. Um, so, you know, it, but that's, that's difficult because a lot of people aspire to make just one great movie, you know. I mean, right. I've been making like, I've made 270 movies. So I I've was actually going to ask how many, what you averaged. Did you average like a movie every eight months or something? <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'd have to be like 300 years old. Uh, no, um, some some years I made as many as 18 movies. We made Jesus. 18, 19 movies. Jesus yeah, God. Yeah. And and now and now just because the world is different, we're doing maybe one every two months. You know, so we just released. You're really uh, slowing down. You're really we, uh, we have boy. to slow down. You know, we just got Ginger Dead Man Two, Passion of the Crust. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And Evil Bong, and you know, with Tommy Chong and. The movies are edgy, and the show is totally fun. It's not just some guy lecturing. I mean, we do crazy stuff on stage. I was actually going to let's talk a little bit about the, tonight. The Charles Band, the Full Moon Horror Road Show, which is tonight at the Aladdin Theater. So when, so what is it? If people walk in. What are they? Is, it's like a little, you know, bit of a Q and A about filmmaking, but it's, and it promises Gary Busey stories. <laughs> wow. It's really not a Q&A. People are going to be entertained. You know, okay. If they have any affinity for horror films, you know, first they've probably seen some of my movies. It's hard to escape them after so many years. So a lot of it involves... Just the fun of making horror films, whether you're working with first-time actors and actresses who I've worked with, like Demi Moore and Helen Hunt and Viggo Mortensen and Kelly Preston, a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. There's clips from movies, stuff that people haven't really seen. There's a lot of blood and guts and fun stuff on stage. We do interactive stuff. We, You know, horror films are really closely tied to hot chicks, and there's no uh, you know, <laughs> lack of hot sure. chicks. And for some reason, people are taking their tops off and running around. It's just one of those kind of shows. It's much like a strange magic show from the turn of the century because there's a little bit of everything in there you know we put girls in a cage we cut heads off we just do bizarre things you know and have fun and bring it's the kids bring the well it's, it's you know it's one of those shows where you, you also need to drink a lot because the more you drink the better the show gets you know? so that's you, how this show is actually okay so you know we, yeah. we, we make sure to go to a venue where there's a bar because that's so critical but it's 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 a lot of fun what's the first film you ever made I mean, where you took the active role and like, I'm going to make this. I made a movie called, it had a different title, but the distributor at the time put on a real B-movie title called Mansion of the Doomed. Yeah. But it was uh, starring, it was Lance Henderson's first film, Richard Basehart. Uh, my effects guy was Stan Winston when he was starting out. Stan Winston? Yeah. Then of the great. Crystal Skull film. Well, Stan Winston has done only uh, five <laughs> Academy Awards, you know, I mean, you know, Jurassic Park and Aliens and... And my, my director of photography was Andrew Davis, who went on to direct movies like The Fugitive. And right. my editor was John Carpenter, who then went on to make Halloween. So it was an interesting group back in a year too long ago to mention. That was my first film. It's funny because Roger Corman kind of has that same, 
you know, Roger Corman will be sitting there sort of looking like, uh, you know, looking like the professor from Gilligan's Island going, <laughs> well, and once I made a film that had a young, <laughs> a young fellow named Jack Nicholson in it, right. and I dropped acid before I wrote the trip <laughs> because I wanted to be able to document it honestly. And it does seem like there is this sort of, it, it seems like there was a renegade element to filmmaking that came out of that school that is sort of lacking now. No, there, there still is. I mean, I think a lot of filmmakers, you know, a lot of filmmakers come to my show because I'm, that's part of what I talk about and part of what people hope to sort of get some practical advice because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about, it is about commerce too. You know, you want to know how you can make a movie and market it and actually collect some money and have enough dough to make your next film. And that's part of the process. And you got to be pretty renegade and edgy to go out and, you know, risk money and, Make a movie. You know, it's not it's not for everyone. So to somebody with and so for somebody who is listening, we had a lot of guys in the audience who are who are artists of whatever variety. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, and a, I, there's a lot of filmmakers in this town where this is this is pretty much in their wheelhouse. Yeah, jazz to go to this event. So and That's so cool. for somebody who's sitting there and maybe they've made, they've taken some small stabs at maybe a mm-hmm. short film mm-hmm. or you know they have that script that's like gestating on right. the desk and they're like this is the time now for my singing tap dancing zombie musical <laughs> you know or whatever. Like, what is the what dumb question? What is the first step? I mean, what is the single? What is the thing you wish somebody had told you to avoid or to do? Wow, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, if you were, like if I'd only know. You no, know, these are like killer questions that are hard to answer, like in you know twenty seconds. But you you try as best as you can to control the money. You gotta kind of work backwards. You know, I keep saying I I'm in this business from concept to collection. You know, it all starts with a great idea and a right. title because that's what you need to punch through, you know, because we have B-movies that have had no theatrical exposure, and people got to look at that title on a shelf and go, God, that looks great, man, Puppet Master, you know, that's cool, or whatever the movie is. But then you have to also kind of control or try to control the dollars at the end of the, the day, and that's not always easy to do. But it's, you know, there's a thousand steps involved, and it's just doing the right thing. If you make something halfway decent, you can actually make some money. But it's, it's, a, it's a long process. Is there any sort of a formula for figuring out what you could put on the front of a box that would increase the rentals or increase, you know, the sort of eyeballs. I mean, was there other than just like a low-cut shirt and the demon? I mean, is there... You know, there was a formula for a while because in the early days of video, I mean, it was amazing, you know, as long as it was in focus and in color and, you know, it, it sort of like made some money. Right. And, and those days sort of went away. But, um, you know, it's more about, again, we, we're, we're, it's really strange. We're now in an era where a lot of uh, people who are going to, maybe be enticed into looking at or downloading a movie will not even see the artwork. They'll just see the title. Right. So now it's become title-driven. You know, back in the day, it was poster-driven. You know, back before my day, even, it was poster-driven. Right. And that became like the smaller video box, the VHS, you know, cassette cover. And, uh, and now it's the DVD cover. But that's quickly fading away. So if you're on, uh, you know, DirecTV or In Demand or any of those services, you're just scrolling through titles. And you want a title like Ginger Dead Man 2, Passion of the Crust, you know, or Deccan and Evil, which is another movie I made that just promises the right stuff. Right. If you want something Deccan and weird and horror and sexy. So, I mean, I'm being silly about my own titles, but you now it's a title-driven business. So that's absolutely the first step. It's got to be a great title, and it's got to be compelling. It's got to – can't really sound like a really bad B-movie because that doesn't really help your cause. I mean, unless it's outrageous, you know, something like one of those titles you just like right. because they're so right. wacky. But, no, if, if you're making a trying to make a straight-up horror film, you need a title. And it's hard because, you know, all those words have been used and overused. So all those sort of traditional death, bed, blood, all that stuff is sort of... I was actually, I was at a bookstore the other day, actually, at this place called Powell's Books, which is um, at Cedar Hills Crossing, which is one of our sponsors, a big, big independent bookstore. And I was looking at the book titles. I was thinking, it's so much, it's so true with book titles now, too, where it's all about 
the title is, they say, cuts through the noise. Yeah. That's the big catchphrase. You've got to cut through the noise. And Chick Lit has a lot of that. Books written for women that are a lot of, you know, the diary of, you know, diary of a cheating husband. Exactly. You know, the beginner's guide to infidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they really often have nothing to do with the actual story, but right. there's a title there. I think Michael Moore has sort of raised that to an art form with some of his books. You have a book called Stupid White Men. Right. Or you, I saw a book called uh, Liberalism is a Mental Disease, <laughs> you know, or and, and Coulter, you know, has, has done that too. And it's, it really is about grabbing kind of people's eyeballs to get it. Yeah. Who was the filmmaker? What was the thing that where you sat there and you watched the movie and you're like, I could do this. This is a thing I could do for a living. Well, what inspired me, because I'm actually making movies on very small budget, so now it's it's a different process. But what really turned me on were looking at movies like the Ray Harryhausen movies. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, but, but there were so many great ones. But, um, you know, some of those pictures, Jason and the Argonauts and... Uh, you know, the, the, I love the old universal horror films. They're almost like, you know, kids' movies today, you Absolutely. know, but they were, they were fun. And, uh, and then, you know, The Exorcist is obviously probably one of the, for most people, one of the scariest movies ever made. And I mean, there's so many great horror films. And, you know, the more clever, the better for me. Things that just sort of surprise you. We're such a jaded audience, too. It's, that's why I'm sticking to puppets and dolls, because they're creepy and no one else is doing them. And, you know, and I don't want another slasher movie. I've seen so many slasher movies. And, you know, that's the world today. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, just turn on TV and people yeah. are cutting heads off and cutting throats. And that, to me, is not fun. It's more fun to have a little nasty puppet, like, you know, stabbing you in the foot. <laughs> Charles Band's Full Moon Horror Road Show tonight at the Aladdin Theater. Uh, tonight at the Aladdin Theater. What was the last movie you saw that blew your mind? You know, indie, major, whatever. Um. Wow. Whoa. Uh, Ginger Dead Man 2, Passion of the Christ. Excellent. I have to That's tell you that. Like. One. Yeah. Excellent. I like a self-promoter, my friend. All right. The website is uh, fullmoondirect.com. Uh, Charles Band's Full Moon Horror Road Show, the 2008 tour, is tonight at the Aladdin Theater. You can find out more at uh, aladdin-theater.com. Uh, Charles Band, thank you so much hey, for joining us, my friend. Thank I you. appreciate it. Thank, thank you for helping to keep independent cinema alive, we, sir. We, we keep doing that. All right. Yeah, and thanks. It's... Keeps me going. Back after this, we'll talk to our good friend Siegfried Moore from Aaron Duran and the top five songs written about a horror film when we return. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Here with Aaron Geek in the city of Duran. In just a moment, more from Tim Riley and today's top five. Uh, let's welcome to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend Siegfried. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hey. How are uh, you, my friend? Oh, I hate bones. I just... What's going on? Fire! What's going on over there? Uh, I just can't talk. I have, like, this big mongoloid tongue. It's just... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, okay, I'm here to the Grindhouse. Uh, okay, after you see the full moon for Spectacular on Friday night, which is which should be ex- awesome, Mongoloid tongue, damn. Okay, so go see um, the Grindhouse Saturday night. It, the, it's a, it's a, the, a trailer spectacular, and we got tons of trailers. It's great. Some guy's going to light up a freaking motorcycle here any second now, and I'm going to be bl- like... Uh, Siegfried, like, where are you and what's happening to you right now? I'm in Klamath Falls and... What did you do wrong? Godforsaken, I don't know. It's like... It's are you like, driving? No, no, no. I'm like, I'm shooting. It's like a motocross commercial. Uh, uh, I just... 
I I hate climate. Uh, anyway, so uh, so the Grindhouse is it a film festival or a trailer festival? It, it's okay. The Grindhouse Film Festival we we do it every year, but this is a special screening of just trailers because they're kick booty, and these are not the normal trailers that you know that you're used to. These are double like, wide trailers. Red band, yes, double wide. They're 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 amazing. They're it's it's like touching God. So and, is uh, this at the uh, Hollywood? This would be at the Hollywood at 7.45 p.m. It's be there, be square, drink a whole bunch of liquor, um, uh, like just the worst liquor you can get, um, and just bring a Dane, bring the mad dog, and then go yeah. watch some Red Band Grindhouse trailers at the Hollywood on Saturday. See, there you go. That's what yeah, I'm talking about. That's how you pitch it. All right. Yeah, thank you. All right. Okay. Thank you, Siegfried. Uh, yeah, I'm out of here. All right. Okay. Ow. Tongue. I love that guy. What's wrong with Klamath Falls? All right, ladies you and gentlemen, ask the Ministry of Truth. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So, because of one person, peacocks have been banned from roaming the Oregon Zoo grounds. Mm-hmm. So they're going to lock up peacocks. But they don't say you can't, can't bring in your own peacock. So I would recommend. <laughs> I try to do that whenever possible. Yeah. Bring your own peacock in a diplomatic case. If it's scratching somebody in the face. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, uh, Scott McClellan says, despite his criticism of the Bush administration, he does not believe that any uh, crime were committed. I think the administration is incorrect to say it was just an intelligence failure in terms of Iraq, uh, because what happened was that the case was packaged together, overstated, and oversold to the American people. Uh, at the t- That's already enough out of him. Uh, he doesn't view the president as a serial liar. And I think he's sincere and authentic, but I think this is what happens sometimes to leaders when they get involved in this political environment and issues like this come up and they have to look for uh, a way, uh, I guess, a way out of uh, getting into some of these issues. And, and it's not viewed in their mind uh, as something that is deliberately lying. He got a scathing email from Bob Dole. Who knows that Bob Dole even know how to send an email? Bob Dole's angry. <laughs> uh, I have time to reflect and go back. And what I am saying is sincere. I'm trying to openly and honestly address these issues, uh, look back at my experiences, and learn the lessons from where we went wrong. That's what the book is about. It's about what happened to take this administration so badly off course and what we can learn from it. Obviously not. I'm sick of hearing that guy talk. I know. He talks too long. Yeah. Uh, so let's do something else. That's a lot more fun, shall we? Here's your five, top five. Four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count. It should be noted, by the way, that Aaron is wearing a skirt. And wearing a really... kilt. It is not a kilt. It's a kilt. A kilt is tartan. No, a tartan is if you have a Scottish what, family line. Let me line. ask you this. It's like Homer wearing a dress and saying it was a muumuu. What is the difference between a kilt and a skirt? What? What? Is... You the way it's made, I don't know. What is the difference? What makes that not a skirt? And don't say it's a kilt. Because it followed a kilt pattern when Jen made it. What is the difference between a kilt and a skirt? But that doesn't though? look like any kilt I've ever seen. That's no kilt. That isn't a kilt. That's a, that's a pleated lady that's a skirt. Space station. You are wearing you are wearing a lady's skirt. It is a tan jean skirt. That's fine. Then it's a skirt, and I look fantastic in it. It wow. is a skirt for ladies. It's like sometimes you think you know somebody, and then I go to open the back door for Aaron, and he's wearing his I believe in Harvey Dent shirt over a green uh, the green right. lantern shirt over it. It should also be noted that I'm wearing and a skirt. skirt. Should also be. I'm also wearing Superman um, boxers. Did you bicycle in that skirt? Yep. Wow. Well, at least I bicycled. 
You know what? I'll take driving in what I'm wearing. Really? I mean, all things fall, things being equal, no offense. I understand there's love and your, and your lovely Jen made that for you, but... I like it. I bet you do. Sometimes one needs to invest in a mirror. That's all I'm saying. That's I the did. only... I look fantastic. Oh, Aaron. You're going to get hate mail later. <laughs> you know what? That's fine. I'm See, okay with to, it. If you think, expect that we're going to get hate mail, then we need to take a picture. Then we're going to take a photo of you and we're going to post Up it. Upskirt photography. Or is it not uh, you know what? I, hate mail or not, I'm confident in my assessment of your wardrobe today. Okay. I have no... Not like I'm a fashion plate or something. I'm no Mr. Blackwell. I know. Blackwell. Like, wait a minute. You know what? I, but I, he would never take it that far. I stand by. I stand by my assessment of, of what you're wearing today. I know men, you know, and that, who wear kilts, but they're, you know, plaid and they're patterned. That's like a. They shouldn't be denim. plaid unless they've it's got just, a, It's a cavalcade of wrong. What you're wearing today. And it's like really tight on the top and then pleated on the bottom. They're supposed to be tight on top. <laughs> well, have you tried a pencil skirt? <laughs> I think okay. you need to resolve the skirt, as they say on Project Runway. I think you need to. As they also say in Project Runway, I think you need to focus on making it work. I don't know that it's working at the moment. That's all I'm saying. We're just We should talk about the roast some more so I'll feel better. We're just saying this because we love you. Aaron, you knew what you were doing when you put on that skirt. You wore this a morning. Yeah, I like it. Expecting that we would not it's comment not a wearing skirt. a skirt. It's, it's a, a skirt. skirt. It's not a skirt. What is the difference? It's embarrassing How that you're confusing that it isn't. But it's, it's like not... you you come here, you present this you come in wearing a skirt, and then you expect us not to say anything about it. It's not a skirt. You are what you know what it is? You're like that guy. Who uh, would be kooky and wear a dress to high school and then get all, what are you looking at? You know, what, no, you're, I you're wearing a dress. dress to high school. You're wearing a skirt to, to the station. Okay. It's not even a pattern skirt. It's a jean skirt. I'm Which just... can't be that comfortable to, oh, it's stretching. Thank you. It, it, it's something out of the 70s. It is. Okay. It's like. Richie, in your assessment, would you say this is a skirt? Wow. Whoa. Wow. Oh. I don't need to see. Wow. Oh. Wow. Richie is really There's not bold. stuff underneath Richie it? just lifted up Aaron's skirt and was filming underneath it. It is an upskirt video. Oh. Wow. Thanks, Richie. Let's do the top five. And it all started with Clay Aiken impregnating somebody today, and it's just gotten progressively worse as we've gone along. That is true. So as we uh, welcome the uh, Charles Band to the program, we pause to celebrate the merging <laughs> of the morbid and the musical of Terror and Rock. As assembled by Aaron Duran, these are the top five songs written about a horror movie. With honorable mention going to Dokken and Dreamweavers. Dokken. Dokken. Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. We hear the Dreamweavers. <laughs> From what film? Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The yeah. Dream Warriors. Written by? Uh, oh, man. Choke. Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont. Yeah. Directed by Rennie Harlan. This is really the most warped uh, of all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I think, apart from the original one, it's probably the best because it's just so over-the-top and insane. This is a pretty great and terrible song. Yeah. And this is the one that had to return... Young Patricia Arquette. Yeah, I think so, and I think Heather Langenkamp returned for this film, too. Yeah. This is really the most warped of all the Nightmare on Elm Street films because this is the one where they took... Freddy Krueger, who, as I always note, is a murderous child molester, and made him into sort of a kitschy pop culture icon. They made him sort of an anti-hero. And the idea that you could take a razor-wielding pedophile and make him kooky and lovable, that's pretty that's, that's pretty off the up. charts messed up, and that's all Frank Darabont, the guy who did The Mist. That's so he was, that bastard. I yeah, that so he was, he was warped, like, early on. I know, we'll take Freddy, and we'll make him lovable. Wow, what a bad song. Here we go, big 80s chorus. Yeah. Boy, 
right now the top five songs written about a horror film. Number five, The Misfits and Night of the Living Dead. Such a happy group. Gosh, I love them. God, where would punk be without the Misfits? Like 80% of the music that exists now on certain record labels wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for these guys. And they're from New Jersey. Well, I mean, guys, this band doesn't sound like they ought to come from anywhere, much less New Jersey. I mean, there is a whole genre of horror punk. Uh, we'll hear some more of that later on in this list that exists almost solely because of the Misfits. I'd say two people on this list may not exist if the Misfits weren't around. Oh, yeah. All right, counting out the top five songs written about a horror movie. Number four, Alice Cooper and the Battle of uh, Dwight Fryer. This is my favorite Alice Cooper song, by the way. Off uh, Love It to Death. It's kind of a sad song, too. It's so creepy. Cue creepy. So this is off Love It to Death, uh, which was their major label debut. It's really a pretty song in its own way, but boy, is it weird. And it's written about Dw uh, Dwight Fry, who's the guy who played Renfield. Renfield, yeah, who was so fantastic as an insane Renfield that it ruined his career. He and never Renfield, who was actually again. creepier than most of the villains that he played second, because he was, he was the Dracula guy, right? He was Dracula's yeah. sidekick. He was the first real estate guy that goes to Transylvania and goes insane, yeah. And he, you know, he would eat spiders and flies and stuff, and yeah. He's the most terrifying aspect of the ghost. He's Dracula. Lion on the floor. So this song is about Dwight Fry. And about the character being locked up in a mental asylum. And Alice Cooper has this whole stage show that goes along with this where they would come out on stage and put him in a straitjacket. And then he would bust out of the straitjacket and strangle the nurse with it. It's just, And it's like a seven-minute song. It just kind of goes on and on and on. But it's really, really good. Um, he recorded this song in the studio. They made a mis uh, sort of... Um, Sort of a, an ad hoc cage in the studio, yeah. and he sang this song in the studio, locked up inside this cage, because they, Bob Ezrin, who was the producer, wanted him to feel like he was trapped. Counting on the top five songs written about a horror film, Tim Riley. Number three, Rob Zombie and Dracula. Now, the Dracula, now, I didn't Rob think Zombie's this is... Like the coolest so this isn't ever. technically a horror film, because the Dracula is the name of the monster's car. That's Grandpa Monster's... Uh, it's Dra Grandpa Mon Monster's race car. Race car, specifically. Because yeah. they also have the, uh, the coffin mobile, yeah. which is the family car. How cool is Rob Zombie? I'm so glad you said you like Rob Zombie. I was afraid you'd hate him. No, seriously, but I didn't start to appreciate him until I saw his movie-making skills. Yeah. And after I saw that, I, I am... Have you seen The Devil's Rejects yet? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. all about his sensibility. you got to figure out his sensibility. And he is just goddamn talented and good-looking. Yeah, he really is. When he he's one when he, hot guy. When he doesn't look like some sort of dreadlocked corpse. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard him tell the story about what got him into horror? No. It was the day he was outside. He was like eight years old. And this guy got into a car accident. He was covered in blood. 
And the guy didn't realize that he was that hurt, so he just jumped out of the car screaming down the street covered in blood. That's who just been yeah. in the car accident. And Rob's like, I could identify with that. <laughs> I think once you sort of figure out that his comic sensibility, because the thing about White Zombie yeah, and especially never, Rob Zombie, that's right, is, hadn't figured him out. is that it's funny. It's darkly, perversely, morbidly funny. And once you kind of are in on the joke, which is not the same thing as it being sort of, it's not really smirky, it's just sort of a black sense of humor. And once you are in on the joke, Rob Zombie's music becomes infinitely better. Yeah. And he can really write a hook, too. All right, counting down the top five songs written about a horror film. Number two, Wednesday the 13th, and the ghost of Vincent Price. Wednesday the 13th. <laughs> I love this song. This I love this whole band. Wednesday 13th is really, really good. This is um, the ghost of Vincent Price. I'm a huge Wednesday 13th fan. Um, if you like Aren't Rob Zombie, again? July 31st, yeah. Rock and Roll Pizza. If you like when, if you like Rob Zombie, you really would uh, like the new Wednesday 13 record, uh, which is called Skeletons, which is uh, much more metal than the previous stuff. It's not nearly as punk. I saw these guys open for Alice Cooper a couple years ago and really blew me away. Uh, I didn't know what I was expecting. I never really heard of them, but they were they were really really good. I could kind of see like Rob Zombie also doing like a like a horror, you know, horror music tour, you know, with him and Wednesday Thirteen and like a whole package tour. Yeah, yeah. And just pitches like the sideshow rock tour or something freaky. This is off his debut album, uh, Transylvania Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Counting down the top five songs written about a horror film, Tim. Number one, Warren Zevon and the Warehouses of London. Boy, I don't like this song. Really? Uh, it's just that I've heard it. So, Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, running for the door. All right. Wow. Back at four, five, six, and seven, top of the hour, all the way through. Like us. See, I'm here at number one because it's the one song that's kind of crossed over into almost every. Yeah, I just had to play this song no, I way too many times. I just, yeah. I'm kind of burned out on it. With a Chinese menu in his hand. The song Warren wishes he could get away from before he There's died. a whole thing on the Larry Sanders show where he goes on and he wants to play his new track. Yeah. And Larry's like, come on, play Werewolves of London. He's like, oh, come on, I hate playing Werewolves of London. It's all anybody wants from me. It was his, uh, yeah. It was his Pini Colada yeah. song. All right, back after this with more from Aaron Durant. Stay there. It's more old. Just say it. You're old. Thank you, Peter. All right. <laughs> Uh, it is now that time of the Rick Emerson Show. We give away our second pair of tickets to Mythbusters behind the scenes, ladies and gentlemen. Since we're talking myths, we will do a rock and roll television myth now. Uh, because we just played an Alice Cooper song there, The Ballad of Dwight Fry, please now to be correctly answering this question as we understand it. What television character, what television character and the actor who played him, will take either character name or actor name, was rumored to grow up to become rock star Alice Cooper? What television actor, we will also accept the character's name, was rumored to have grown up to become rock star Alice Cooper? Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We'll take caller number five for that right now. What television actor slash character was rumored to grow up to become rock star Alice Cooper? We'll take caller five at 503-733-2970. In the meantime, we're here with Aaron Geek in the city, Duran. Uh, and Sarah Dillon, so Sex in the City, I know we talked about it, oh, we were talking a little bit more on Monday, and you know, whatever, but... Um, yes, but I did a review of it, Aaron and I came in and recorded yesterday. Yep. 
And there is a guest reviewer on filmpeoplereader.com, which is up right now. Yes, yes, and uh, it's, it's spoiler, spoilerific and yes. right <laughs> profanity. <laughs> because I was really excited. Now, I'm you, like, FCC can't regulate me. Did you see it, or did you just let Sarah kind of go with Sarah say Sarah and you, you went, you brought a friend with you. I it's did. Not, it's not that I have anything against Sex and the City. It's just I don't know the show at all. No, and I think so, it really did help that you know because we do talk a lot about like you know referencing characters in the show, you know, just from the series and like yeah. comparing it to the movie. But if you if you don't want anything spoiled for you, don't listen to it yet. Are you now? Are you going to be seeing it with Jen? Uh, if she wants to go, I'll go. The, at, honestly, from Sarah's review, if like Jen wants to go, I won't complain because she said it's legitimately funny, even if you weren't like into that. That show. was I've actually had a bunch of guys sort of email me about that, and they've asked. Uh, let's see if I have one in front of me. I have this uh, an email where a guy says. Um, I don't know, but he, he basically says that he's going to get dragged along to see it, and he said that, you know, should he, as a guy, and especially as a guy who's never seen the series, uh, does he need to be sort of uh, dreaded? He said, um, after listening to Sarah describe her experience, I'm extremely terrified to go. Uh, let's see. Um, is it just going to be a bunch of shrieking women out there to take out their hatred of men? No, I think it was just because I was in a beer theater, and everyone was very drunk yeah. and going with big groups of their girlfriends. To help the guys who want to see it, Sarah said it does have a poop joke, and there's many boobies. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Hello, your caller five. Can you identify the television actor or character who grew up allegedly to become Alice Cooper. You know, I probably can't, but I'm going to guess Jerry Mathers. No, you're very close, though. Very close, unfortunately. All right. Uh, let's see here. What do we have? Um, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, how are you? Hello, hi. Yeah, uh, was it uh, Eddie Haskell? Well done, Ooh. sir. Television's Eddie Haskell, Ken Osmond, who in reality grew up to be a member of the Los Angeles Police Department, but who was rumored to have grown to become Alice Cooper. Uh, there you go. I'll put you back on hold. Richie, uh, talk to that guy. Get his information, sir. You're going to see Mythbusters behind the scenes at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall uh, later this year. How much time do we have here? Uh, I start the music in about three seconds. All right. Oh, and Aaron, you, you should say, because I didn't even realize that you put the review up because it says, like, holy something, Batman. And I thought it was a review <laughs> of, like, something to do with Batman. So oh, I no, didn't... it's up. It went up last night. Yeah, well, I kept checking it, and I'm like, oh, that's something to do with Batman. That isn't the review. Oh, I can yeah. either. Now, if you want, I have, an, I have an email I could read to go out on where it is uh, it addresses the roast, the skirt, and Todd the Corpse all at once. Yes. Go to illusioner.com before, if you want to mock the skirt. Todd the Corpse says, And see this kilt pattern. Todd the Corpse says, is Aaron's skirt the Aaron's roast of the clothing world? Like you want it to not be there anymore, but you can't look away, and then for weeks afterward it haunts your memories? I'm just asking. Signed, Todd the Corpse. And, all right, there you go. Oh, I have don't, a, you yeah. asked for it. No, I have a beer. You want it? <laughs> oh, come on! That? Bye now. <laughs>